Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to At Bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Full. 11 points behind Tampa. You still have games in hand. Detroit continues to pull away. Detroit's 14 points up on the Sabres. So the idea of like catching a spot in the West, in the, in the wildcard rankings, you know, two wildcard spots might have been available for a little while, but it looks like you know Detroit's going to run and hide from you with 72 points. Tampa with 69. Either way. Bench minor for Granado, and Tampa scores. And the Sabres do get one back. And then then comes the empty net scenario, which this has been something maybe we don't ask Granado about enough, and we will when we talk to him today, which is, man, they are not good. They are a bit, they're clumsy. Their timing is way off when it comes to getting the extra attacker out. And I don't know if it's by design or if it's just – they, they 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 by design want to have things happen later, or what it is. But man, what a mess trying to get Ukapekalukinen out of the net. Nate Geary joins me. Hey, what's up, Nate? Good morning. What a mess trying to get UPL out of the net. The Sabers had extended zone time for thirty seconds ish multiple times in that late third period, and by the time he finally comes out, Florida dumps it in the zone, and the Sabers make him retreat. You could just. Go, teams often will pull their goalie with the puck in their own end as part of a rush and be like, all right, let's go up the ice, let's gain the zone, establish possession. But you do it when the the puck is in your own end. And here's last night. They were late to do it. You know, is it going to make a difference? Who knows? you got to give yourself a chance. Either way, it's a loss. It's a tough one. And we've got some questions for the coach and for Paul Hamilton about it as well when he comes up at 7 o'clock. The bigger picture, I, if, if I could allow – myself one bigger picture is upl continues to be awesome one of the best goalies in the league he's awesome not just like good for their standard because their standard hasn't been good for the last seven years no it's been very bad yeah and a fun question would be what were you willing to trade upl for a year ago is it like a duffel bag a bag of grapes (laughs) like old older like not even fresh grapes yeah seeded grapes seeded grapes yes right yes i don't even care if they have seeds in them nope 
UPL is awesome. He is. And we got Marty Baron coming up at 7.30. My favorite question on the Sabres right now is, when do we get to treat him as real? You're not already? Guys have a good year. And he's had two full, really good months. Like, mm-hmm. really, like, top-level months. And I, I know you had Chad on a couple, maybe like last week. I can't, I, I can't remember if you asked him this about the UPL. I did. Chad Dedeminis of uh, expectedbuffalo.com. His answer was this time next year. Okay. That like, long. De- like December. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not to say that what he's doing is nothing, but at what point can you say this guy is this good? Can I also ask the question, is he ever going to play this much again even when he's playing this well? Probably not. That's right? a good question. He is getting the load here. He's getting he is getting number one goalie load. Yep. He's ninth in the NHL in goals save above expected. To give that proper context, the Sabres in the last however many seasons, whenever we can check this, you go to moneypuck.com. He's ninth among guys that have played 30 games, which is what I care about. If I drop that down to 20 games, he might drop a few spots, but not many, 12th. Like the, the names here are... Shesterkin and Allmark and Swayman yep. and Bobrovsky and Aiden Hill and of course Hellebuck's number one. He's top ten goalie. Mm-hmm. He's played. He has played like a top ten goalie. To give proper context, last season I should do. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. The twenty twenty three regular season. Okay. So last season in this department, the Sabers goaltenders. I just told you, Lukin in his top ten. The Sabers goaltenders last year, Anderson was thirty second. Lukin was forty seventh. <laughs> You're right. I know. That's a reaction that I would get all the time looking at Sabres goaltending stats. That's of guys that have played 20 games. In fairness, did any of those goaltenders get... No one has gotten an opportunity... Well, I mean, no one's really shown that they should be given this sort of extended look, quote-unquote. But, I mean... The only guy that did was Levi at the end of the season. Yeah. And and that was a time when they felt like they could not play Lukanen. Right. Right. And now they can't take him out. Because Lukanen, like, and here's the weird arc with Lukanen, is he really, since that second hip surgery, since he was in that World Junior, his numbers have not been good. Like, even in Rochester, like, right now, Levi's down there dominating Rochester. He's got, like, the best save percentage in the league. He's got the most saves in the league since, since joining the league. Like, he is dominating the way that you would want to see a goaltender that you believe you have high future hopes in the NHL, to dominate at the level. He never did. Like, he had, like, three, like, like, I mean, what was his numbers in the AHL over the last two years? They were not good. So, it didn't, it doesn't necessarily always have to translate, but it really didn't look good at all last year for him. And to your point, you know, they weren't playing, I mean, they were playing Anderson over him at times. They were having to play, I mean, they are playing four goaltenders at times last year. It just is kind of remarkable. But, I wanted to ask you the the thing about Chad because I think this is an interesting case study in this, right? I think a lot of people will point to, probably Don Granato will point to, they're playing much better defense this year. Yes, they are. And how much of that better defense is helping him look better and have better numbers? I would think there's at least a percentage in there. But I guess my question, the reason I'm asking that is, if they went back to being as poor on defense as they were last year, would, would it still look this good? And if it did look this good, would they be really good in a defense that a team yeah. that doesn't really care about defense? 
It's an interesting question, and you know, goals above ex- saved above expected. That's about tracking and where the shots come from and whether or not it should go in. Blah blah blah. It's you know, advanced stats that I just tend to trust. It's a decent. Is it perfect? Maybe not. But for Lukanen and, and what you're bringing up, if this Lukanen were on the team last year, they make the playoffs. Second in the division, probably. Yeah, I mean, right. <laughs> it's not even a wild card. They, they make the playoffs easy. And I, this is going to sound ridiculous, so just bear with me. I wonder if Lukanen being this good, they're about. They've got to sign him. He's he's an RFA, so an extension for him and a raise. If he's your number one next year, which I think right now he is. If he's this good, a top 10 goalie, then do you as a franchise lean further in? This this year, they're going to miss the playoffs, it would seem. Uh, I, I'm pretty confident, been pretty confident about that for a while, as many of you may, maybe have as well, even though they're not mathematically eliminated. But it's a little bit like you have a goalie who will not be that expensive. And when the time comes to, let's say he gives them a, he gets a two-year deal on an extension for reasonable money. And then he plays great for two years, and the decision is, should we pay him $9 million? Yeah, right. Which that, is not a decision. No, that's that's a different conversation. But right now, you might get a young, cheap goalie who is playing great. And Kevin Adams said at the beginning of this season, their Stanley Cup window opened. Right? I mean, today, that doesn't look so great. But if they're going to keep things rolling and try and push forward next year, what I wonder is not how expectations motivate the GM, but how the goalie does. If he's that good, if he can continue to be this good, and that's why I think the number one question about the Sabres that's interesting is how long until you can comfortably say this is who he is. I mean, Linus Allmark has consistently been one of the better goaltenders in the NHL in the NHL for a couple of seasons. UC Soros, Connor Hellebuck, you can count on a lot of these guys, the guys at the top. And there's some new names, so when a new name pops up, the question becomes, like, all right, how how good can he be and how long can he stay there? Because you know how it works. Teams win the Stanley Cup and change their goalie in two years because they feel like eh, a lot of it's the same. If Lukanen is good, how much does that push the Sabres forward? Because we're all going to be looking at them this offseason like they should push forward if they haven't been slow to do that already. So anyway, Lukanen to me is the the story of the season right now, and he's he's fun to watch. It, it's been great. He's been great. His save percentage, their goals against, as you mentioned, since January first, they've given up the fewest goals in the NHL. Like they're they are a good defensive team, and you know scoring has not yet returned. How or, much of that do you buy is luck? The defensive no, prowess the, the, or the scoring, the scoring. I mean, some. Tate had eight shots yesterday. Yeah, some has to be considered luck. At least a little bit. The power play is a big part of it. Last year, Tate had 20 power play goals. Yeah. And this year, he has 17 goals. Yeah. So the power play is a big part of it. If they had a power play like they did last year, which was near the, one of the best in the NHL, and now it's horrid, if they had a power play, they'd be a playoff team right now. I, mean, I know that's like, really? Only that difference? Probably. Just that difference. Whether they get to overtimes or they steal some wins, but whatever. It's frustrating, I know. I get the feeling the Sabres are not panicking about their season. I thought last night's game was fine. You got beat by a better team. That's Every time they play Florida, to me, it looks like men versus boys to a degree, like a mature team versus a young team. And the Sabres have to make that Florida jump that you know Florida has made. They made it two years ago. They won the President's Trophy. Last year, they go to the Cup Final. And this year, it's the third year in a row, they're looking at 
win the Stanley Cup. So they're they're better. There's no doubt about that. They have better players. But I don't think any. I, I personally, I don't say no one. I didn't come away from last night's game feeling like wow, another dud. It, no, it, I agree. It more felt like the second half Sabers are a different team than the first half Sabers. Lukanen's a big part of that. O- overall, they just look more competent, which is not saying a lot. It's a microcosm of games, though. It's yeah. not just first-half season, second-half season. It's first-half game, second-half game. Right, start and give a, a goal in the first six minutes a lot. And, you know, sometimes, like, I know Paul talks a lot about, like, these guys, like, you shouldn't have to have guys be ready for games. Like, get up for games. Like, grind early in these games. And, like, the thing that Oposo says a lot is, you know, well, there we were chasing the game, you know, and that to me is like the most frustrating thing to hear. It's, it's I, I don't, I don't have no real explanation on you get down early and then you start, you get out of your game, but you never get in your game. So like the idea that you get down and you start chasing the game and you get away from what you do well, I mean, it happens almost nightly and they scored first last night and they didn't necessarily go into a shell, but like, you probably want that first, that Sam Bennett goal, you probably want back if you're UPL. It wasn't a really particularly, he was screened a little bit, but I don't know, Jeremy. It's like the, the thing that I guess annoys me a little bit is the way that they talk about the first period, the struggles, the struggles at home. None of it kind of really makes sense to me. How do you struggle at home? Nobody struggles at home. Bad, bad teams struggle at home. Yeah, but they're fine on the road. In fact, you might say that it's, it kept their season alive last year. Their road games, and they talk about well, you know, the the teams together and whatever the reasons are that they're better on the road that they're not at home. I, they're bad at weird at things that you would think teams would, at this point would be decent at or not bad at at least. It's just it's it, it continues to be like a hard to they're they're hard to explain. Yeah, well, a lot of the home struggles the players would like to explain it away, and Granado sometimes does as well as learning to play with expectations. That's Tage, that's Cousins, you know, big contracts, higher expectations. I don't know. You want someone to get their head in the right place, and the fact that it hasn't really happened yet is kind of troubling. Two years in a, a bad home record. Next up, Tampa Bay. They'll play the Lightning on Thursday. Vegas on Saturday. Jack Eichel could make a return. He's been on long-term injured reserve and skated with the Knights yesterday, then a road trip. Their road trip goes through, I think, Monday. So they're here on Saturday, and could the Sabres be seeing Jack Eichel? It's possible. He's skating again. It does not necessarily mean he's on his way back. He's not in time for this game. 803-0550, if you want to th- throw us a thought on the Sabres and the Panthers from last night, we'll get to... Uh, Paul Hamilton, Marty Baron, and uh, expecting Don Granado today, a reschedule from tomorrow. Also, the Combine rolls on. I, I, I'm excited to talk to Sal because I saw people tweeting from the Combine last night that there was a tornado warning and a crazy storm. And We got some of that yeah. stuff last so, night. A tornado siren going off and people oh. running to hotels and running to shelter last night in Indianapolis. That seems not yeah. ideal. Scary. Yeah, I'd imagine. So we'll see. Brandon Bean spoke with the media. We'll go through some of the things that he had to say. Uh, head head story at ProFootballTalk.com is uh, the Bills' salary cap saved the Bills. They were bracing for a lower number. Okay. 
Good news, right? Good news yeah. to see the cap jumped up enough to make it easier on the Bills. I don't think it necessarily gives them an advantage. Every team that was over got help, and all the teams that got that were already under have a lot more space to sign players. So I don't think it means you necessarily have a better opportunity to get players, but you have more room to restructure your own guys if you want to. I think it means they don't have to be nearly as aggressive. They can they can maybe lean back on one guy that they were like, yeah. eh. Do we want to restructure this contract, or do we, maybe you don't have to do that with that guy? Yeah, it probably makes it so you're you can make your situation next year healthier. Yeah, n- have to do less, and of course, next year's cap increase will be what another thirty million, like yeah, it probably. is most years. So we'll get to all that, plenty to get to on this uh, this Wednesday morning. Eight oh three oh five fifty one eight 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 five fifty two five fifty. Sabers lose Florida and Tampa next for the. For the Combine, for the Bills, I'm, I'm eager to go through some of the stuff Brandon Bean had to say. Some of the testing stuff at the Combine, that'll start to come out. We're getting rumors, trade rumors. You know, it's 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 Combine season. This is how it goes. We haven't quite reached full breathless hand measurement yet. <laughs> That's coming. Feels like the game, not the, not the, not the gig is up at the Combine, but mm. it's definitely, a, it, it's it's more like baseball winter meetings than it, than it is about players these days, right? All the stories from the combine are going to be about teams talking to teams. It's going to be about well, competition committee rule changes. We know McDermott's on the rules committee now, or the competition committee, I should say, and they're discussing kickoffs and they're discussing the fumbles to the end zone. And oh, by the way, here's a defensive lineman running a three cone drill. You know, the combine is for the for the teams. I know they air a lot of it, but it seems like it's an event to get to to be seen to. Just update everybody on, on where you are, right? The entire NFL world descends upon Indianapolis for a couple of days or for a week. And you see if you get any good juicy rumors out of it. Justin, Je- Here's one juicy rumor. Justin Jefferson and Devontae Adams. You know what happened with them yesterday? With both teams? Nah, not happening. Their GM said it's not happening. Yeah. I did not see Bean say that yesterday about Diggs. I was looking for that. He could just say that. He could. Did he? Was he even? Was he asked about Diggs? I didn't see anything about him being asked about Diggs. I, I, these guys are being asked about it, and also, maybe you don't even really want to. What's he gonna do? Proactively bring it up? No, I selfishly, for my own narrative purposes. <laughs> I, I mean, people love to ask why Diggs won't say he. Why won't he just say he's gonna retire here? Which he has said he'd like to. And I just always ask, why Why can't the GM just say, of course he's going to be on the team? Like the Vikings GM just did with Jefferson and the Raiders GM did with Devontae Adams. They don't have to meet, you don't even have to mean it. You can just say yeah. it. So anyway, I was looking for that yesterday. That did not come. Bean did not say that. I fully expect that Diggs will be on the team. Anyway, 803-0550. It's a Wednesday. It's kind of nice out. The temperature is going to drop very fast into the 20s, and then rock it right back up soon after. So plan accordingly. 803-0550, our phone number to join us here on WGR. Dylan Cousins, high slot, Greenway near circle, takes a look. Cousins scores! Shot from the slot by Dylan Cousins on the power play. The Buffalo Sabres take a one nothing lead in Florida. Dan Dunleavy on the call. Moment of the game. A Dylan Cousins rip. Brought to you by Firth Jewelers. For all the moments in your life, go forth to Firth. 
Sabres fall to the Panthers by a 3-2 count. They'll play Tampa coming up tomorrow. Jeremy White, Nate Geary, Nate's in for Joe today. And uh, you can give us a call, 803-0550, if you'd like, one 888 On the Sabres, if you want something there, it's, uh, you know, we're more than happy to take it. Meanwhile, it's Combine Week. I want to say we got great news out of the Combine. And one of the potential rule changes that will not go through. Of all the things I'm really passionate about in terms of this rule should or shouldn't be changed, I'm really, really far in the, uh, whatever, very heavily convinced this rule should not be changed, and the end zone fumble rule proposal has died. Thank God. Stephen Jones said that, that the proposal to change the fumble through the end zone, which is a very punitive play, right? You fumble in the end zone, it goes out of the end zone. That's a touchback. There's been chatter about that should be a different sort of punishment if you do that. It happened in the Bills-Chiefs playoff game. They got a possession out of it because Michael Hardman fumbled to the end zone. You know, it's one of those spots, Nate, where I think you want to make a rule change, you've got to tell me what the other idea is. What's the alternate to this? What's the what's the correct penalty for fumbling the ball out of the end zone? And none of them really seem right. I, I think this is a good rule. It is one rule that goes for the defense that helps them make a play. It helped the Bills make make a play against the Chiefs. Without that play, they might get blown out by Kansas City. So make a play by the by the goal line. It's the ball carrier's responsibility, and that rule proposal has died, and that's great news. Happy about it. As it should. I don't think they should bring it back up again. I think it's it's it, a, it's an overly punitive rule. Agreed. Don't fumble in your in when you're going into the end zone. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I'm good with it. Yeah, me too. Some of the other suggestions were like, what, bring it out to the 20, make loss of down, have it at your at the 20-yard line. Eh, fumble's a fumble. You know, if you, if, you, if you fumble out of the back of your own end zone, that's a different rule than if you fumble out of your own one. Mm-hmm. The end zone is treated differently, and I, I fully support it. 803-0550, to join us. So, franchise tag stuff. Josh mentioned in the update, Legereus Sneed, franchise tagged by the Chiefs. And that probably means that Chris Jones, they're close on a deal, right? He did hold out this year. He did. And now he's due another big contract. So, if you're Kansas City, you had a decision to make between Legereus Sneed or Chris Jones. Who are you going to franchise tag? Which is basically just a negotiating lever. Hey, we're going to use this with Sneed. And they've told him he can seek a trade. If he wants. So he's he's his rights have been retained under the franchise tag. If he finds a team that wants to sign him, okay, we can go through those steps. He's free to do that. Meanwhile, we'd like to talk about a long-term deal with you and, and place this franchise tag as a little bit of a placeholder. It probably means he stays. And for Chris Jones, I don't know, maybe you're hopeful that he leaves Kansas City, but I, I would not. Why would anybody anticipate that's going to happen, right? Going to the Hall of Fame, probably. Win a bunch of Super Bowls. Continue to play with Patrick Mahomes. Be a game wrecker on that defensive line. Second round pick, Chris Jones. Perfect Bills draft. (laughs) Receiver, and then find a Chris Jones. Another one. I mean, (laughs) Ed Oliver's pretty good. He's no Chris Jones. Not many guys are. Jones is consistently ranked a top 10 player in the NFL by the rest of the players. Chris Jones of this era is the second best interior defensive line behind Aaron Donald. And it's way closer than probably 
will ever probably talk about. I think the difference is, I've seen some numbers on Chris Jones. Like, what's the difference between Jones and Aaron Donald? Is that Jones sometimes doesn't really go all the way. Sure. Until the game matters, fourth quarter or a big game like the Super Bowl. Just maybe the commitment's not there. And I say that because I've seen some numbers, some splits on like the Chiefs run defense in the first and third, first, second, and third versus the fourth quarters. And the flip side of that is Aaron Donald. I, maybe that's true of him too. I haven't, I've not seen the advanced numbers on Aaron Donald. But the stories about Aaron Donald go that they have to remove him from practice in order to have practice because he's, mm. he's too disruptive. Yeah. And I've never heard a story like that on Chris Jones. But those two are what? One and two. One and two. And, but I think it's really close. And, yeah, you know, listen, I think they're different players in that maybe what they'll be known for. I think Aaron Donald will be known for not necessarily what you are talking about, which is like, you know, the every down. Well, I mean, he'll be known as that. He'll be known as the every down guy just gives his all all the time. But he'll be known best for he kind of single-handedly on that last drive of the Super Bowl against the Bengals, won them that game. Yeah, I mean, he terrorized Joe Burrow. And I think, do I remember him? I mean, this is tough because it's an NFC guy, and I, it's not like I was zoned in on the NFC playoffs or had been like I am the AFC playoffs. But Chris Jones is going to be probably known as the guy is when the moment required a play, almost exclusively on defense for them, it had been Chris Jones. Think about the games that the Bills in those moments had been stopped by. Maybe not the first couple of games, but I mean, he makes he makes the play, beats Connor McGovern, I think, and hits Josh Allen right as he releases the football, and it falls incomplete instead of completing a touchdown to Khalil Shakir. And I don't know if the game's any different. Maybe they still win the game, and who cares? But that was a defining play of that game. Yeah, the play on fourth down, Chris Jones is right. In uh, right in the face during that during the Super Bowl. I mean, he makes the big plays when the moment needs a big play, and that has been the big, most consistent thing for me for Chris Jones. Is yeah, maybe dogs it, maybe that's the wrong word, but isn't that guy on first, second, and third down? But man, it's just like man, we need to play. That guy yeah. is always there. I I think the term might be one that the Bills used when they went out to try and get Von Miller, which is again they play defensive line at different spots closer. Chris, yeah, Chris Jones is a closer. He closes games. He has closed games against the Bills. That play you mentioned on the throw to Shakir, that's Dawkins who he's working. And Dawkins is good. It's funny on that play. Like, I think Dawkins does a decent enough job. And still, like Jones is right there in the backfield. So, Kansas City, you know, their, their offseason is what? Losing who? Not Andy Reid. He's getting a contract extension. He is. And says he, you know, he's not going anywhere for a while. Kelsey, no retirement rumors there. You know, as the Chiefs were on the way to winning the Super Bowl, you might have thought, well, you know, Sneed and Jones and Reed and Kelsey, are they all going to come back? And it sure looks like, at least as of right now, yes, they are all going to come back. And then, you know, free agency. We'll see what else Kansas City does. 803-0550 on the Bills. Brandon Bean talking yesterday about the start of restructuring season. They got Connor McGovern restructured. He said there are several others. Some are in their infancy stages. Uh, others a little further along is they got to try to find a way to get some money to spend in free agency. They won't be spending a lot, but, you know, extensions, restructures, all that. And then it's all about the draft, which is, you know, what we're all going to key in on. I'm excited about the draft, to be honest. 
Do you have a uh, favorite idea? You and I haven't talked about not really the, the wide receiver trade no. probably since the probably since the Chiefs game <laughs> and about needing more receiver help. Who's your favorite idea? We do wide receiver idea of the day on this show. You know, you got a favorite one. Um, cost included. I mean, the idea of Malik Neighbors might sound great, but going up to get that guy might not sound so great. So, is there a favorite idea, whether it's draft or free agency? Um. Kind of, yeah. Um, I would tell you that one of my favorite ideas has been Troy Franklin. Um, because I don't know that, well, how fast he runs could be the difference between the Bills, him falling in the Bills' lap and then and them having to move up and get him. If he runs like a four two eight, I don't think he's he's not falling. You're, if you want him, you're going to have to go and get him. Um, but he, to me, isn't. He's maybe the exact opposite of Gabe Davis, which is maybe what I like. Um, he's got those strides where it's like, if you can get him the ball, he reminds me of a, maybe a less twitchy, but like a bigger strider version of Tyree Kill. And I kind of just want someone where when you watch Tua in Miami, Tua hits his back step and the ball's out. He's just like, here's, here's, here's the ball going up into the air. That guy can just run and go get it, yep. and he's going to go run past a corner and go run past the safety. I kind of like. I kind of want that guy. Let me ask you a question about Franklin here and about the kind of receiver that would work with Josh Allen. I thought Chris Brown on One Bills Live made a really good point earlier this week, talking about the the, the type of receiver that Allen might want, and that's you know, as the Bills are constantly chasing yards after catch and run after catch, he pointed out that Allen's the kind of receiver that. He puts the ball on you, mm-hmm. right? A lot of the Bills' success has been to guys that can run and turn and hit a spot, and they don't have that many guys that have been able to turn that play. Like, let's say you're going to run a little hitch and then shake a guy free and get into space. They haven't had that much success doing that. Their, their yak numbers in Josh Allen's career have been low, and I only think that's partially because of the players. I think that's because of the, the type of quarterback that Allen is. So with that in mind, are you, you're looking for at receiver? I mean, probably two. But I wonder if there's if the Bills think about the type of receiver that fits well with Allen. Because as you go to Tua, right? Tua is a different kind of quarterback Very different. than Josh Allen. We know that. So the kind of the kind of receiver that fits with Tua, you want the, that guy to win early. Yes. And when he makes a catch on the run. You're, you're, you're catching the ball full speed, and you're playing to space, and it's a track team. And I don't necessarily think, again, like if the Bills had Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, they would use them in good ways. Yes, I agree. But I do think it's a little different in the way that the ball is going to be thrown to these guys. And Franklin, like he might fit any offense. Is he the best fit for the Bills? Um, I don't say that as if it's not. Sure. Just you know the context of the, question. of the type of receiver that would work well with Allen right now. So Because Gabe... One more thing. Because Gabe Davis, we know the limitations that Davis might have. I do want to say Davis worked well with Josh Allen. Yeah. As a vertical receiver. For sure. But that was it. If you put Gabe Davis with a quarterback that can't hang in the pocket and extend or in a offense that gets the ball out quicker, I don't think it's going to go too well. Like That's one of Davis' strengths is getting open down the field. And this, this Bills quarterback... Josh Allen, of course, he holds the ball and looks for bigger plays. To yeah. me, that's a good matchup 
you want a guy that has that skill set, but of course has more. Yeah, and right, of course has more. And I think the question that everyone sort of has to ask themselves is. Well, I think there's two questions. This, The receiver that they select, if they select a receiver in the first round, you're selecting someone that steps into a wide receiver two role that ultimately, this is the whole conversation, is that this person needs to be someone that eventually is your wide receiver one. And what is the shape? I, I don't think we should be asking what we want our wide receiver two to look like. It's what we want the future wide receiver one to look like. Yeah. And I think that's the important delineation that you have when you're talking about this receiver and who you want and what the type of receiver is. And maybe that's not Troy Franklin. Maybe Troy Franklin's not that number one type. Maybe he is more of a specialized number two. But if I'm talking strictly about if I'm looking for a more specialized number two, what I want that number two to look like. I don't like, and, and this isn't a shot at Keon Coleman because I think he'll probably end up being a, a pretty darn good receiver. I don't want that mold to be what I've had in Gabe Davis. That is really the one trick pony. And I think that with Troy Franklin, he's speed personified, but I think he's more than I can just run a straight line down the field. I think he can run those routes. And here's the thing that you're talking about with the deep ball. And I think this is a super important point for people to understand is Josh Allen. There are probably three quarterbacks in the game. Mahomes, Allen, Herbert. I'm trying to think if there's a real, there's another one in there. Um, They defy conventional rules for deep balls. You don't want to put Stroud Stroud there? Okay. No, 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 I don't. Um, And here's the reason why. It's not that I don't think uh, that C.J. Stroud has, an, has a great arm. I think he does. I, I haven't maybe seen enough of him in the NFL to say that I'm going to put him in this group. The reason I'm putting him in this group is because those three, from an arm strength and timing and how they throw deep balls, is as unconventional as I've ever seen quarterbacks throw a deep ball. And what I mean by that is your rules on a nine route, on a go route, are you hit the back step, and that ball's got to be out. And the reason it has to be out is most quarterbacks can't hold on to the football and throw it 65-plus yards in the air accurately with, you know, arc and put it in a bucket. There are – it's such a rare trait. When you hold on to the football, the timing of those routes become very difficult. Very few people can overcome the, the constraint of timing on those throws. Allen can but they're not as accurate on those deep balls because of that. Because you are literally putting... If Allen could hit the top of his drop and make that a 35 or 40-yard throw instead of a 65-yard throw, your margin for error is much larger. Mm-hmm. Right? And you could put the ball higher and let guys run under it more. The problem is, is Allen throws that deep ball on lines that... Almost no one else can throw it. The ball doesn't leave the screen like it does with Russell Wilson. Right. And that makes it, when you see overthrows, no one, I'm going to say this, Allen is one of one. Nobody overthrows guys 65 yards down the field. Yeah, he does. (laughs) Nobody does. So it's a little frustrating sometimes when you see that, but... it's He's just a different animal in that. So, like, for me, I want a guy that Allen looks at and goes... That guy just took two steps, and he's already past the face of that corner. Flick, throw it up in the air, take a little off of it, and let a guy go run underneath it. And to me, that's what I think this offense from a deep ball perspective is missed. If you're talking about what I'm talking about, Gabe's fine for that role. Because he can, if it's a jump ball and he underthrows it a little bit, Gabe's going to be fine in that situation. Um, 
but yeah, I, so I, mean, I, I really like Troy Franklin. The other guy that I'm starting to fall in love with, Javon Baker. Yeah, Javon Baker, UCF. The wide receivers run on Saturday. That's when we get the 40 times. No Marvin Harrison Jr., no Malik Neighbors, Adunze will run. Of course, Troy Franklin is one that could uh, boost his stock with a with a good time. 803-0550 if you want to join us. Uh, Nate with me, Nate Geary, with me, Jeremy White. We've got contests and giveaways and a bunch of them today. How many are we running today? Five. Five contests. All right, be ready. It's decent. Have have the number ready, 716-2214-WGR. Not right now. Just have that number ready because you don't even know which contest we're going to do when we get back. We're going to do one. Then we're going to talk with Paul Hamilton, Sal Capaccio from the Combine, Marty Braun. Lots going on. 803-0550 on WGR. Okay, B caller five or six. Callers five and six will win. A pair of tickets to the Outlaw Music Festival with John Mellencamp, Bob Dylan, and Willie Nelson at Darien Lake. September 27th, tickets go on sale Friday at Ticketmaster.com. Tickets courtesy of Live Nation. Callers 5 and 6 to 221-4-WGR. Win a pair of those tickets. Jeremy and Nate will talk with Paul Hamilton in just a moment. We'll also get to, we got to get to this, this suggested trade for Josh Allen. I mean, it is enough talking about free agency is silly season. February is silly season. Yesterday we had conversations about, will Justin Jefferson get traded? And today there's a gentleman who works for CBS Sports Radio that thinks the Bills should trade the the, the quarterback of the team for the first and ninth picks in the draft. Josh Allen could be traded to the Bears for the first and ninth picks. It's a take. It's a take. He suggested the trade and then, uh, then asked the question, who says no? What? <laughs> Who says no? Some some people. Some people say no. I haven't even done this part of it, but I'm going to do this very quickly. Josh Allen, what, what would the cap hit be for the Bills if they traded Josh Allen? Right? I mean, he's... It's the most preposterous thing you can imagine. If There you go, Nate. If they traded him for the first and the ninth pick, uh, the, the, the cap hit, I believe, for the Bills would be $56 million. Oh, that's it? Fifty-six million dollars. That's it. <laughs> All right. It's that line from National Lampoons, right? I, I couldn't be more surprised if my woke up and my head was sewn to the carpet. <laughs> if the Bills had tr- traded Josh Allen, who, who, anyway, we'll play. We'll play the clip where he breaks down why, of course, the Bills would do this. The first and ninth pick for Josh Allen. It is combine season. We need some free agency to get started. Yes, we do. Eight oh three oh five fifty. Paul Just Hamilton. Some tampering. Yeah, legal tampering. tampering. Legal tampering is uh, about two weeks away. We're getting closer to legal tampering. Yeah, it's Monday the eleventh. Jeremy and Nate with you. Nate's in for Joe. Paul Hamilton on the other side as we uh, look at last night's Sabers game. We'll talk with Marty Baron. I want to ask him about UPL. He's coming up at seven thirty. Um, you know how real this is. And Don Granado rescheduled. He'll join us in the eight o'clock hour. Sal from the combine. Lots to get to. Also going to remember, uh, spend a little time today remembering Chuck Dickerson. Got the news today, uh, this morning, woke up to the news that uh, Chuck Dickerson, former former host here, sat in this chair, talking to this microphone I'm looking at right here, uh, he's passed away. So I've got some thoughts, some things to share on that because I, I do have a little crossover with with Coach, the Coach, Chuck Dickerson. So if you haven't seen that online, a uh, bit of news passing around this morning. 803 to join us on WGR. 
Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. It's Paul Hamilton. That's what they called me in college. It's the bone. He has the facts to back up his opinions. People will ask me, well, how are the Sabres going to win tonight? I don't have a clue. On WGR Sports Radio 550. Paul Hamilton's appearance on WGR brought to you by Relax Honda. Relax. We got this. As the Sabres fall to the Florida Panthers last night. Jeremy White, Nate Geary. Nate's in for Joe today. Good morning, Paul. Morning, guys. How are you? Good. Paul, I liked that game. I thought it was a good game. A spirited uh, affair from from each side. The Sabres ultimately come out on the wrong side of it. Um, but it got chippy. I mean, these games for the Sabres... I know they're you know struggling to even get into a playoff race, but between Sunday against Carolina, uh, you know they had a bunch of a couple wins in a row. They had five road wins in a row, which I was I learned last night. If they had won, it would have been their longest road road winning streak since two thousand six. So these games have been a little better, right? Have, have the Sabers, to your eye, found a little bit of what they were looking for all year? Somewhat. I mean, they uh, it was chippy for whatever reason. This is turned into a bit of a nasty rivalry between these two teams. And it was interesting. Uh, Don Granato wanted nothing nothing to do with it about his calming on it. But Carl, Kyle Oposo was talking about how, you know, he, he loves games like this against them and he enjoys playing them because it is, you know that you're in for a battle. Thompson brought up the same thing. You, you, like, you know it's going to be a battle, and they love that, you know, that they think Florida kind of brings that out in them, but they both also kind of felt the Sabres fell short on that. Um, you know, Kyle Oposo was talking about putting on your big boy pants, and he goes, a lot of guys did, but he said some guys didn't. And he, you know, he said, we need more of that. We need more guys, you know, regularly go toe to toe against them. And, uh, you know, they're talking about just the fight, the fight that the Florida Panthers make you go through just to get to the net, you know, how they're so good at defending and defending hard. They're a hard, hard team to go against. And if you get to the net, you know, you've earned it. And Thompson said that, you know, almost just like that. He said, you know, you, you got to get to the net. We got to do more of that. And he said, because when you do, you, you, you've earned getting there. And, you know, they both kind of thought 
I don't think we can sit here and say they didn't compete or anything like that. That wasn't it. Yeah. It, it, to me, it's more of a flaw in the team. They just don't have enough guys who are hard to play against. And that's something I've been saying for how long now? I just think it's a flaw in the way the team is designed that they just don't have enough guys that can battle and, and do do that and stand toe-to-toe with a team like the Florida Panthers who are just going to grind you to death and they're they're, they're going to you know be in your face all the, all night long and they're going to make it very difficult for you to get to their goaltender. Buffalo did score two goals because they did. They got to the net. And you know they they screened the goaltender and they were there to score those two goals because of it. But uh you know I I just think if they want to be a good team we need to see more of that. Paul, it's funny like Hearing Oposo say, big boy pants, not everyone, and Cousins say, we play soft. We're not going to get a window into the exit meetings, but when these exit meetings happen, it seems like the players have the, I mean, I don't know if they'll call out their own teammates, but there's a consistent identifier of some guys are all in and some guys are not. And, like, you've talked about it, that, that the job right now is going to be to figure out which guys are the guys that are not hard to play against, if they don't already know that and the Sabres will have to systematically root them out and get different ones in. Because the number of times that that sentiment has come from this team is alarming. It is. It absolutely is. Uh, they're not talking about compete that much anymore because they compete on most nights now. But what took so long? You know, How many times did I sit there in the morning and say to you, you know, that's inexcusable. That you, that you can control. Whether you're a good team, bad team, they're better than you, you're not – you can control your compete. To me, that's an individual thing, and in in your down deep in your gut, you know, are you willing to go to compete on a regular basis? And it was a regular basis where they didn't, and that really, really bothered me to hear that all the time. And that that's probably one of the reasons why they're playing better and have a better record since the first, because that doesn't rear its ugly head as much anymore. You know, they have figured out that. If they're going to win, they have to compete. And for the most part, they do it. Um, you know, they, they, they had some up and ups and downs in the game. And it was interesting listening to a post or two about the second period where they didn't even get out of their end. I mean, it was 19 shots by Florida and Lucan and Stant stood on his head. And, you know, they went into the period down 2-1 to one and they left the period down 2-1. And that's, he goes, sometimes against a really, really good team, and that's the number one team in the NHL right now, um, he goes, sometimes they're going to carry the play a little bit. They did. And he goes, that's okay because we recovered from it. You know, he goes, Lukanen was great, and we got out of it, and then we came into the third period, which they did until the five-on-three happened. And you know they were they were back playing really well again, you know. And then he, now you got a game on your hand because your goaltender stood up for you and was phenomenal in the second period, held you in until you got your game back. And uh, you know, the, and then the five on three happened. So, and that made the score from uh, two to one to three to one, and that basically lost the game for him. So. Um, you know, I, I, compete really isn't a big issue, but to me it still is an issue from the point that it took over half a season to get to a point where they compete on most nights. Paul, on the five-on-three, let's start with a penalty to Benson. Clearly Don Granato was upset because Benson now, does he have a knack of getting 
a penalty called on him that should be on somebody else. He might have been interfered with on the way. Um, but it, it almost feels, feels like Benson's not getting calls that he maybe deserves. Yeah, it's it's really weird. But uh, to me, Don Granato picked the wrong penalty. That was a trip. I mean, uh, I'm I'm sorry. It just was the, the earlier penalty on Benson, the one in the beginning, of the first period, holding. I I looked at that four times. I didn't even see a gesture for holding. Um, and that's the type of thing you're talking about. It's just like these phantom penalties. That he winds up with. I remember there was one penalty. He was around the net with three different guys mauling him, and he came out with the penalty. And I, and I'm still scratching my head. Go what? When? When? Where? What? What? What are we looking at here? And you know, I just, I, I don't understand what. But that to me, the the penalty that he went berserk on was actually a penalty. Uh, the Greenway thing he didn't like either. He brought up the Greenway one where Greenway got the double minor. I know uh, Cousins, Nick Cousins, flopped, but he, it was a roughing penalty. Greenway did turn around and punch him, and I understand he embellished it. I mean, he made it look like he got hit by a heavyweight, the heavyweight <laughs> champion of the world, and uh, he was never going to get up again. I, I, I get the embellishment part of it, and maybe if you want to, but, you know, to say that Greenway didn't deserve a penalty or whatever, now embellishment used to be a penalty. You don't really see it much anymore. But, um, you know, if you want to say Cousins deserved an embellishment penalty, I'm I'm, I'm on board. Uh, but uh, and then he talked about, you know, Krebs getting punched in the head and there was nothing there. And then a second guy came in the same scrum and knocked his helmet off of him and there was nothing there. And he just said there just comes a point where you just got to stand up for it and, and stand up for your players. And um, I, I don't know. I'll get into this. I, to me, it's a twofold thought. I get the frustration. I, the the refereeing in the National Hockey League is just horrendous. Look at what happened to Toronto. Their coach got ejected. Um, it's just horrendous. And I, I, I get it. I understand his frustration. That, But to me, here's the twofold thought. If you're not in the playoffs anymore and you're out, by all means, lose your mind. Go crazy. It doesn't matter. If you feel that you're basically you're out of it, you're out of the race, and you don't think you, there's any way you can you can get back into it, by all means, lose your mind. I mean, you do. I get it. I totally get it. But if you think you still have any shot at all, I mean, that th- three-game winning streak that could have maybe been a four, and then can you get it to ten, you know, type of a thing, if you think you still have any chance at all, a mathematical chance, that was not a good move by the head coach. It was a dumb move. He he, he lost the game for him. I mean, plain and simple, Don Granato lost the game for them. It's a two-to-one game. They, they were getting their game back. They, they got a penalty. Even if you think you got totally, I mean, you got to hold your cool there because you can't. Give the Florida Panthers a five-on-three. You just can't. And uh, for a two-minute five-on-three, because they are they are the best team in the National Hockey League, and they are going to make you pay for it. They did. They took a three-to-one lead because of it. 
and the game-winning goals on Don Granado, and that loss is on Don Granado. One other thing about coaching, Paul, the last you know minute, two minutes, three minutes, trying to get Lukanen out of the net. I mean, the Sabers seemed like they had multiple opportunities, and when Lukanen goes to the bench and then skates back into the net, just because the puck is in their own end, it just seems to me like their their late game scenarios are much too conservative to give up that empty netter. They had opportunities to pull him and try and get the extra skater on. They wasted a good minute or two. And then even the last opportunity, Cousins trying to carry it in the zone, it just seems like in terms of parts of their game that's missing, that's a big part that's missing. He used to just we're pull him at this time, and they were getting scored on almost every single time. And I, being there, I could see how things were developing. There really wasn't a huge opportunity Almost any opportunity he would have thought to pull that goaltender, Florida is going to get control of the puck almost immediately, and you could see it coming. Um, there was one time Lukanen was leaving and went back. I mean, he he because he could he could see what I'm looking at. That oh, we don't have, we don't even have close control of the puck here, and this this is coming back at us, and it did. I mean, they they were they would have had the empty net goal had he not gotten back in. Um, so in this particular case there, now I, I think there becomes a time where you just got to take the chance and pull them. Uh, but, but I mean, when, when, you know, you know, coaches now they pull goalies with three minutes left or two and a half. It, to me, it would have been dumb to, to pull them in, in almost any situation the way Florida played because Florida was coming up with the puck almost immediately and it was just you would have had your goalie out for five seconds and it would have been in your net. Um but yeah, it does you're right. It got to a point like it's a, if it's a minute and a half left, you gotta get him out. And that's when okay, even if it's looking like you're not gonna keep control of the puck or whatever, you gotta hope that maybe you do. And you gotta get him out. And that's where that's where I would have disagreed uh, with with him and what in what they're trying to do there. Um it just gets to a point where you gotta get him out unless Unless Flores standing there with the puck, but if you got, as you said, if you got Cousins and maybe he's getting into traffic and it's not looking good, there's three Florida Panthers there uh, ready to take it from him. Sometimes at that point, you just got to say, well, you hope Dylan Cousins gets the puck by them and gets it into the zone. Paul Hamilton joining us on the Western Hotline as we talk about last night's Sabres game against the Panthers. They're on their Florida trip. They go to Tampa coming up for a game tomorrow and then home for Vegas. The news on the Golden Knights for the weekend is Jack Eichel has returned to skating, so something to keep an eye on for Saturday. Uh, Paul, as we look forward to the the Tampa game here, you know, it's funny, like, they're just going to ride Lucan in the whole way, and they're getting a really good look at what he can do if given a big load of, of load management. It's a big thing in sports. And here's Lucan and just playing every night. And my favorite question to ask, we got Marty coming up. I'm going to ask him, when is this all real? He, he was great again. I mean, we are on the longest stretch of a Sabres goalie being this good since I don't know when. I mean, Levi had seven games last year. Prior to that, th- th- this is the most optimistic I think a lot of Sabres fans might be about a young goalie ready to, to, to be the guy. Yeah, I think you can take it right back to Ryan Miller if you want to. Um, yeah, I mean, even Levi wasn't this good last year when he went on that little bit of a run when he showed up. So, yeah, it seems like Lukanen's for real, and that's why when we're talking contract here, I don't know what to say. I, 
I mean, it hasn't. It's pretty much been a full year. I thought he's playing. He wasn't playing quite this well, but before he got sick, I thought he was doing pretty good. I mean, because now you can, you don't have to stay say since January first anymore, because he's now we're going into that game. He's fifth in the league in goals against for the year, not just since January first for the year. You know, so. You know, his numbers are pretty solid in, in many categories for the season. He he just had that blip when he got back from sickness. It was a very, very bad illness he had. He didn't play well for, I don't know, what do you want to say, a week, maybe a week and a half, whatever it was, and then he got it back. And that, But that was a test to me, too, because he had been playing well before. He got sick and it wasn't going well. Okay. You know, last year, remember, he was Brook Goal, Goalie of the Month, Rookie of the Month. And then he didn't go so well, and he couldn't get it back. For a game now and then he would, but he couldn't get it back. He got it back this time, and and it was even better, you know, when he did it. So, um, yeah, I think they, I think we can say safely say now that they have a number one goaltender on their hands. Paul Hamilton on the Western Hotline. Paul, before we let you go, want to. Get your thoughts, your memories, I guess, of uh, the coach, Chuck Dickerson. We learned overnight that uh, he passed away. The, the obituary says there's going to be you know, services coming up, and he had a short illness and passed away at the age of 86. I remember, Coach, I've been here long enough to have been here when he was sitting in this chair, and I know, of course, you would have known him better than I would, um, I'm quite sure. He was, he was something, and, and away from the radio waves, I learned so much football sitting in his office because, you know, he would talk, you know, of course what he did on the air was a little bit of showmanship and not not a little bit, it was a lot of it. And, but, you know, I, we didn't have to, you know, it wasn't a showmanship type of a atmosphere sitting. He would sit down and it was almost like a chalkboard. Yeah. All right. You know, on this play, this is what a player is trying to do here. This is what this player should have done, and you're 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 too focused over here in what you're talking about. This is where you need to be focused on this play, and I just learned so much football from him. You know that that you know it was just it was just so so much fun to to I, I love sessions like that where you're with a coach and they can go over things, and he loved that too. You know, sit there and. And to teach football like that to you, and he would teach that to listeners too. When, I mean, there was a lot of bravado and all all that. Is he was a showman, and you know, it's called a show, and that's why it's called the the coach, and it's called a show because he certainly was a showman, and he he knew how to get listeners, and and he would always say, he goes, I don't care if they like me or not, as long as they're tuning in. He goes, if they're tuning in because they hate me and they want to scream at their radios, great. Guess what? They tuned in. And that's the way he looked at it. And he had phenomenal ratings and in that time slot, and people did listen. Whether they liked him or they didn't, they listened and they wanted to know what he had to say. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. Take care. Paul Hamilton on the Western Hotline uh, as we you know, chat about last night's Sabres game and uh, Chuck Dickerson. You know, as he says that, I can remember when I started here, I was thinking of a good comparison on the way in, Nate. That, you know, in football, there's the head coach and the offensive coordinator and then the quality control mm-hmm. and blah, 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 blah. When I started here, 
coach was like the head coach of the station. He was the biggest star. I mean, he's on the afternoons. And I was the grad assistant, right? Like the, what's the lowest position on a football coaching staff? Right? I was the guy over there cutting sound for the afternoon show and just kind of learning about radio. And exactly what Paul said, there were, there were multiple times where I'd be working post-game. And my job on post-game was to take in the sound from the podium and cut it up so that sound bites are ready for the sports updates and sound bites are ready for, you know, for Coach, for Chuck. And if I came in early and sat in the control room with whoever was here watching the game. The first time I did that, I was in a little bit early and watching and, and as he's watching the game and doing exactly what Paul says, like breaking it down. This was before you could watch all 22 on NFL.com to get a coach's insight watching a game live. You know, now you watch the Manning cast and you see Peyton Manning break down a play in real time, like, oh, they were looking for this, they're trying to do blah, 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 blah. Tony Romo became a sensation because he did that, and... and I think what we've all learned is that there's a good chunk of the football fan base that wants that, that loves that. Just teach me all the time. Show me the All-22 breakdowns. Give me what they're looking for. And with Coach, I came in one time early and noticed, like, oh, man, if you, if you come in early, I'm going to get that. And then I would just start coming in earlier and earlier because I was working the postgame shift anyway and to kind of get his sense of that. The, the, the coaching side of football, watching a game live, it was super, it was really cool. It was really an eye-opening experience. Yeah, it's definitely a little bit before my time. So I wouldn't have <clears throat> really been listening. At, I mean, how, how long are we talking here? 15? Oh, longer. I mean, he, he was, he, I mean, Shope will have timelines better. I mean, because Shope jumped in with him in the afternoon. It was Shope and the coach. And for me, this is, I remember listening to him. I'm at, I'm at college in Syracuse listening to this station during Sabres playoff runs, like the 99 Cup Finals, I'm listening to this station. And I learned of him then. And then he's here through, I don't even know what year. I'll ask around the building. But those years that I'm talking about, that's 2000. Well, here's a great question. What year was Chad Morton's kick return in overtime against the Bills? 2001? Okay. Bledsoe's first game. So it's 2000. 2001, 2002, 2000. No, I graduated in 01. Yeah, I'm in fourth grade at this time. Yeah, I'm three years old. Yeah, so not getting a lot of. I don't think I was getting a ton of. W, I mean, WGR would have been on in my dad's car on the way to football. Yeah, but. it's it's 2002. Yeah, we, 2002 week one, the Chad Morton game. Yeah, that was uh, Bledsoe's debut, and Chad Morton had two kick returns for touchdowns. Including the overtime kickoff return for a touchdown. It was, you know, it was disappointing. Has any team in NFL history ever lost two games in overtime on kick returns to another team? Because the Bills have done that twice. That's crazy. One on a punt return this year, week, yep. week one. And in 2002, week one, kick return in overtime. Yeah, wow. Without looking it up, I'm going to say that's never happened before. That one team has two overtime special team losses in the opener. Yeah, I mean, that's an obscure stat. There's the no same, way. The There's no team. way. Yeah. Anyway, 803-0550 if you want to join us, one 888 Marty Baron, I want to ask about Lukanen. Do the Sabres have one? Here's Paul bringing out images of, you know, Ryan Miller. Hmm? What do they have here in UPL? He's been great. Jeremy and Nate, Nate's in for Joe today. It's WGR.
After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Trailing on the play, Panthers able to keep it in. Here's Rodriguez cutting to the net, drags it, and a great save by Lukanen over at the far post. One of the moments of the game, brought to you by Firth Jewelers for the moments of life. Go forth to Firth. We go to the Western Hotline. I want to talk about UPL. The Sabres lose, but UPL has been very, very good and has been good for quite some time here as, uh, you know, he's playing every night, pretty much every game. So joining us on the Western Hotline is former Sabres goaltender Marty Baran. Oop, did I put him on? Did I do something wrong? My mouse stopped working to try and punch up the phone. We'll get Marty right back. I think I might have accidentally hung up on Marty. You hung up on Marty Brown? I think so. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Uh, let's try this one. Hey, Marty. He's there. I did it. Uh, now I'm there. Okay. I heard the beep, but then I didn't hear anything else. So I'm like, oh, maybe wrong button. Yeah. It's my first day. You know, I've, I've, <laughs> I'm, I'm new here. <laughs> So, Marty, I think that I, I, th- I think I keep asking everybody this question because I think it's the most interesting question about the Sabres right now, which is how real is Lukanen? How, when can you count on this? You know goalies, Marty. They go up and down, and when a guy finds his game, that, that's obviously really valuable to kind of sit in that spot. So h- how real is what you're seeing from UPL? Well, I mean, I think uh, it's not a small sample anymore. It's a larger sample over, two, you know, two months or, you know, just a little over two months of fantastic play. And I, I have to also think that the first month and a half, two months of the season, uh, you can chalk it up to, okay, it's a new season, uh, three goalies, what's happening? Are you getting your reps in practice? Are you getting your playing time? Um, and so maybe it wasn't the perfect fit. I've been a part of three goalie systems and, and did not like them at all. And it's not so much just because of practice. It's more like, when are you getting your games rep, right? When are you getting your rhythm to say, I'm playing, even if you're the backup, I'm playing one game a week, or, you know, I'm playing every four or five games, or you're the starter. You're playing three, four games in a row, and then you're taking a break. And I think right now UPL is, is finding that rhythm. Uh, but I, I was, you know, I was talking to my son last night. He was watching the game, and he says, do you, do you think that uh, you know UPL is definitely the clear-cut number one next year? I said, well, okay, it's still a long way there, but in my opinion, what we what the Sabers may have next year is a really good situation with UPL and potentially Levi, because Levi is getting his uh, is learning in in Rochester right now, and I would anticipate he's gonna maybe get called up a couple of times from now until the, the end of the season, play some games. 
you know, hopefully playoffs in Rochester and then next year, okay, let's try that again. But now you try that again with two goalies and not three goalies and you don't make it messy. I think that's where I'm at with Lucan and Levi is I think you're, you're starting to, to grow into a really good situation if it continues to play out that way. I don't, want Le- I don't need Lukanen to be the best goalie in the league number-wise, um, but if you're top 10 and both of your goalies are you know, top 20, like you're in a good place. Marty, what about Lukanen has changed that you can see in terms of the way that he plays, the, whether it's confidence, comfort, technique, what's different? Well, even from the start of the season to uh, to now, there's a change in his game. But mostly, what we see is he's not chasing as much as he was last season or even earlier in the year. So how many times did we see Lukanen? You know, there would be a goal, and it's a wide open person back door, and he's sliding right when the pass is going left, and then it's a tap in the net. And you're thinking, wow, that's a pretty nice goal. But at the same time, you're like, okay, what can the goalie do on that situation? And I feel like he was biting on maybe a, a fake pass shot or a fake shot pass too early. Um, if there was a, a player coming in uh, with speed down the wing, he was very aggressive, often getting caught outside of his net. So he's reeled it in a little bit. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not saying he has to play uh, you know, super deep in his crease, but he's got great size. He's got good reaction. Uh, you know, he's got good quickness. So why not just retract in the crease a little bit more and feel try to feel confident that way? And most goalies that are making transitions in the NHL, it's about positioning. It's about reads. Um, I, I know this, you know, goalie, you guys are going to say, well, it's, he's not one of the best in the league, but Samuel Montembeau in Montreal, you know, acknowledged this year that, and last year too, that, hey, I made a decision to play a little deeper and it feels better. I'm not chasing as much. I feel like I'm, I'm in on more saves. And I remember when he said that, I'm thinking, I wonder how many goalies that would benefit, right? And I think it's benefited UPL this year a lot, just, you know, being more in the crease and not chasing the game as much. Marty, I want to ask you, because we were talking about this this morning, Jeremy and I, about goaltenders' development process. And, you know, you think about UPL and the prospect he was in the World Juniors and, and, and kind of the hype that was around him, and then he gets to the AHL. And it's not that there were struggles necessarily, but the numbers weren't really there. And it was a consistent thing with him. And then getting up to the NHL in last year, when Devin Levi comes in for, like, essentially the most important playoff stretch of the year, you know, they felt, or at least it looked like they felt they couldn't trust him in those situations. They were going with a rookie goaltender. Where, like, how do you determine what changes in a goaltender's development? Of course, they're not linear, but to me, it, it's, it seems very dramatic, the shift we've seen from, from UPL, and rather quickly. Yeah, and, and a couple of years ago, I was watching UPL, and I'm thinking, I don't know if he'll make a, you know, a goalie in the NHL. Maybe he'll be a, a backup. Maybe he'll be like a journeyman, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, in the NHL, you got 64, or well, technically you have 64 goalies, but you know they've played over 90 goalies this year. But, I mean, you make it to that level, you're really, really good. But look at UPL. After juniors, you know, he went through – uh, surgery. He went through playing in Cincinnati in the ECHL. 
he went through the AHL, and there was a COVID-shortened season. There was a COVID year that was really weird for him. I mean, there was a lot of development time that was not had for him because of the, uh, you know, the circumstances. And there's a lot of other goalies that are in the same boat that are just getting to the NHL this year and are either getting it or they're not. Like I think of Caden Primo in Montreal is the same thing, about the same age, same development time, and this year it's worked. And I think it took time. Charlie Lindgren in uh, uh, in Washington, I mean, yeah, he didn't have a great one yesterday, but he's been fantastic for them this season, and it was the same thing. Like the development time got really really stopped because of the challenges that you know a lot of people had to deal with with the pandemic and the the lack of practice the lack of of games and and all of that so UPL was uh, also a victim of that and now he's coming out on the other side of it Marty Baron on uh, UPL Sabres lost last night to Florida Marty we won't keep you that long thanks very much and uh, we'll be watching this stretch oh, run that's with good. you I'm just uh, driving the kids to school right now before I head over to Tampa because uh, we have a road crew party tonight in Tampa, and Duffer and I are doing the game actually on location tomorrow night before coming back uh, Thursday after the game. So um, I'm kind of just uh, doing my things this morning and you know, before I head over. Very good. Off to Tampa for the road crew party. Thanks, Marty. Okay, have a good one. Marty Baron joining us on the uh, Wester Hotline as we... Chat about last night's Sabres game. NHL standings brought to you by Native Pride and Tall Chief Cigars. Stand tall with Native Pride. The Sabres don't pick up many points last night. Uh, Detroit now sitting in the first wild card spot. Second's held by Tampa, who also lost. Tampa's got 69 points in 61 games. Um, the Devils are in striking distance. The Capitals might be. The Penguins, they won last night. They got two points. Anyway, the Sabres sit back uh, 11 points out of the playoffs. Two two games in hand on that, 11, uh, that that spot, though. Can you believe that Pittsburgh will really trade Jake Ensel? Sure. Why? Well, I don't know why Pittsburgh... Well, Pittsburgh is a team that has been old for years. Yeah. And at some point, they're going to have to not be old. Old. And... I, I, super old, and they just went out and got Carlson, who's old, old, good still probably, but they're just really old. And like Gensel's not twenty three anymore. I mean, he's twenty nine years old, but he kind of is like their youngest good player. Yeah, and to be the idea of him them trading him at the deadline because he's a UFA and you don't want to pay him feels kind of crazy pills to me. Well, the moment that Crosby and Malkin are done. It's going to be... Ooh, they're going to go into a yeah. Patriots-like... It's 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 going to be a pretty intense, yeah. you know, restore, rebuild, resign. I, I don't know. It was, I don't really know where they are. They weren't good last year. They aren't good this year. 803-0550. Stat of the day for you. Speaking of somebody that's done a pretty good job, I want to throw a shout-out and a congratulations to all the Bonnies fans out there. Mark Schmidt... Got to 300 wins. St. Bonaventure coach Mark Schmidt, 300th win uh, with a win last night. So it's your stat of the day. It's the Bonnie song. All right. Unfurl the brown and white. Something like that. Stat of the day. The stat of the day. And the 300 wins. 
Meanwhile, we'll get to some other stuff. Saturday is uh, brought to you by Syndicate Gaming in Irving, home of the biggest bingo payouts and slot machines with thousands won daily. Sal from Indianapolis coming up at the top of the hour, 8 o'clock. Don Granado, he was rescheduled from yesterday to uh, next hour, so we'll get to that as well. Lots to get to. You can give us a call, 803-0550 on WGR. Contest time. B caller 5 to 2214 WGR to win a pair of tickets to see Jelly Roll at KeyBank Center October 6th. Tickets go on sale Friday, March 1st at 10 a.m. at Ticketmaster.com. Tickets courtesy of Live Nation. That's Jelly Roll. Call 2214 WGR. Nate Geary is in for Joe today. My name is Jeremy White, Josh Schmidt producing. Franchise tag on T. Higgins. Franchise tag on Legereus Sneed. No running backs to be franchised. Shocked. Question for you. Mm-hmm. Hand up here. Is Saquon Barkley going to get paid? Yeah. The year after the whole thing was like, yep. he's going to get a big contract. Probably from Houston, it seems like, right? Why are, wh- why are they going to do that? They're not paying their quarterback. That's true. They do have a ton of, a ton of space. We had a caller yesterday call the show and talk about Houston as a model and how the Bills, you know, the Bills are in cap trouble. And look at Houston. They're not in cap trouble. And sometimes it goes without saying, but cap space isn't an accomplishment. No. Having cap space is often, let's look at teams with the most cap space right now. And here's the question I would ask you if you're thinking about, like, wow, the Bills are really in trouble. I'd love to have cap space like the Titans. Mm. Or the Bears. Mm. The top five right now in cap space are the Titans, Bears, Patriots, Commanders, and Colts. Would anybody out there want to trade the last four years with them? <laughs> no. Like You don't have cap space because you've been good. Here are the teams with the least amount of cap space. It's Bills, Saints, Dolphins, Chargers, Broncos, Cowboys, Browns, Niners. The bad teams are the ones that are bad without cap space. Yeah. But if you don't have cap space and you've been good, it's because you've been paying good players. You know who's had the most cap space for like the past decade? The Browns. They carry over tens of millions of dollars a year in cap space. Isn't part of having cap space how you use it? Yeah. Cap space for the sake of cap space kind of doesn't really matter. I mean, teams that are spending money are spending money because they typically are spending money on good players. But a team like the Bears, with all that cap space, maybe they get Caleb Williams, and then are they, what are they? They're going to spend a lot of money on guys in free agency. They're going to have the number one paid interior defensive lineman. They're going to have number five edge player. They're paying Tremaine Edmonds $18 million a year. And they're going to pay maybe a corner a whole bunch of money and some offensive line a whole bunch of money. And then they won't have cap space. And then they won't have cap space. It's the number one reason they should probably move on from Justin Fields and reset their quarterback thing. I mean, Fields, if he's going to be their their quarterback, would be starting and get decent money soon. Whereas Caleb Williams or Drake May or whoever is going to be an awesome deal if they're good. Did, did you did you hear what Ryan Pace said yesterday? The combine. He said that they, if they were going to trade Justin Fields, they'd make sure they would do right by Justin Fields, suggesting that they were that they would trade him someplace that he'd be okay with, and that they would do it before free agency. Seems awfully specific. Yeah, 
<laughs> Seems like that should happen. Seems like if you're talking about how you would trade someone, it sort of seems like maybe you're going to trade someone. Yeah. You've thought about it. You've th- you've figured out a scenario, and you're ready to share it with the media. 803-0550. We'll get Sal on a couple of these things as he's live from Indianapolis. He'll join us coming up from Indy, our uh, daily check-in with Sal from the NFL Combine, which rolls through today. Yesterday, we heard from Brandon Bean. We'll get his recap of what Bean had to say. He was on with local media. He was on One Bills Live. So uh, what we learned from the Bills GM yesterday was Sal Capaccio next. It's Sal Capaccio. 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 On WGR. Sal Capaccio joining us from Indianapolis. Combine rolling through. We heard from Sean McDermott earlier in the week. Brandon Bean yesterday. Coverage of the Combine on WGR brought to you by Awaken 180 Weight Loss. Fast, sustainable weight loss, then free support for life. Awaken180weightloss.com and by Outlet Liquor when you need to stock up. It's the place to buy a case. What's your outlet? Jeremy White and Nate Geary. Nate's in for Joe today, and we welcome in Sal. Sal, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? Was there a crazy storm there last night? I've seen some, uh, you know, the NFL world reporting tornado sirens. Was it nasty? That's wild to me. Like, okay, um, I am looking. It must have been overnight, which goes to show you I wasn't out too late last night, right? Because (laughs) I I know I don't. um, I am am actually just opening up. I'm in my hotel right now, and I'm opening up the window, and I do see, like, that it's wet outside. It was not wet when I got back to my room last night. And um, that was after dinner and being out. It was not bad. Listen, Mm -hmm. it's funny you say that because Brian Mazeroski on WBEN just asked me the same kind of question. I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) I have no idea. So I guess that means I slept pretty well. I don't know. Good. Very good. Hey, nothing wrong with sleeping well. All right. Well, on to other business then. We heard from Brandon Bean. He spoke with the media. He he got a couple good lines in about trading up for Josh Allen, like thinking thinking back to doing that. Um, so, you know, as we, as we look for the rest of this week, you know, Bean will be watching players. They'll be going through drills. They'll be taking measurements. What is, uh, what's, the, what's the GM's general tone right now about, about the state of the team? Because it seems like there's a general belief that they need this draft. I mean, every team needs their drafts to go well. But right now, the the the, the changing of the guard, that's not what I'm looking for. But you, you know what I'm saying. Like they're, they're entering a different window, and this draft looks like the start of that. Yeah, so Brandon Bean spoke yesterday. There was a bunch he touched on. Um, I think, first and foremost, the salary cap situation. So, you know, before we get to the draft, they're going to shape their team through free agency. And obviously you're here with the draft and prospects, but this is where all that, as you know, starts to, you know, the the groundwork gets laid for a lot of that. And last week, the NFL announced that the salary cap was going up to $255 million. Now that's a $30 million jump or so. It's the highest jump it's ever had. The reason why is because if you guys go back to the COVID year and remember the league, there was borrowed money that put into escrow basically, that they took away that's now being repaid and put back into that into that pool where it grows the salary cap. And the reason I bring all that up is no one kind of knew that was really going to happen. So Brandon Bean said yesterday, guys, they were budgeting for 240s. Well, I don't know how much money 
the you guys ever found the most in your pocket, but Brandon Bean essentially found $10 million laying around in his pocket to spend in free agency and to have available. And he said it made him smile. And look, it doesn't mean the bills are going to go out and sign the top free agents and, um, you know, be able to wildly spend. But when you're a team that's tight against the cap, when you're a team that's strapped like that, it does give an ability to do a couple extra things um, that maybe you didn't think you were going to do. So he said it was unexpected. 255, they were budgeting 240s. They were even thinking they were happy if it was close to 250. And then they get it to 255. So I think that's where you start with how you, he's going to shape the roster going forward. Yeah, thinking about that that influx of money, you know, finding 10 million in your pocket. Every team gets that space, but self, I'm trying to make any sort of okay, who does who benefits from this? I do think it's the teams that are over because now they don't have to do nearly as much either to a get under the cap or they don't have to do as much to their future cap if they wanted to get compliant. Would you agree? I mean, again, it helps everybody, but I feel like if I'm a team that's over, I'm feeling like, okay, I don't have to do as much. A hundred percent. Right. And I guess, you know, you look at it this way, like you're the Tennessee Titans, right? They were already scheduled to be about $80 million under the cap, like have $80 million in salary cap space. Now they have 90. Does it really change that much what the Tennessee Titans are going to do? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, I don't know, think it does. They're going to they're gonna probably have big numbers on guys and go out and spend a few things. But, yeah, can they get an extra guy or throw a few extra million to someone to entice them? Sure. I think you can do that. But I think that's right, Jeremy. What really happens is it's the teams that are tight that say, well, now we don't have to release somebody we were going to release. Now we don't have to restructure somebody we were going to restructure. You know what? Maybe we didn't think we'd get Gabe Davis back or A.J. Epinesa or Daquan Jones, but we can throw a little bit more their way, you know, put it in a manner that's not going to crush us down the road. And that was the other thing that Brandon Bean talked about, which is doing these restructures. By the way, they already restructured Connor McGovern. We heard that a couple of days ago. He said they're working on doing others as well. Doing these restructures, doing these other deals, even extensions he talked about without really you know, crippling themselves salary cap-wise in a couple of years. And what this does, it at least allows them to not have to do that and go fully on as much as they may have had to. Sal, let me ask you about strategy then. Like, If you're Brandon Bean, and, and you've been around the franchise long enough to kind of know how he operates, and I, I'm wondering from a salary cap space perspective, do you think when he gets this thing back to black, which I – He's going to have to do. So the question I guess I have for you is, after they get back to camp compliance, do you get aggressive in terms of we just want to make as much logical space as we can make? Or do you make that space based on the players you think you're going to go after in free agency with the idea that, like, hey, we want to sign X, Y, and Z, and we think we'll need $10 million of salary cap space this year to complete those moves. Do we want to get to 12 as a buffer or – are we trying to say we want to get to the number, the maximum number of potential space this offseason in order to keep that flexibility? Like, what is it more strategic or is it just saying, here's the benchmark we want to be at? Let's get there. Here's how we're going to do it. It's a good question. I think it's always evolving, Nate. I think that what happens is, you know, you have a benchmark you want to get to to kind of operate, and then you have to be flexible from there. You don't know who's going to become available, right? I mean, think about the fact of let's say you're going through free agency and this happens every year, right? And suddenly a guy becomes available that you didn't expect. I mean, last year with DeAndre Hopkins, right, in his situation, you know, you, th that was later in free agency. It was in March. He still was unsigned. 
but you know, maybe a team finds some money for him. You have to be able to evolve. I always remind people is a, it happened here in Buffalo with they, they thought they signed JD McKissick two years ago from Washington. So because of that, they couldn't afford Levi Wallace, even at a pretty, you no know, lower salary, but not, not a big salary. So Levi signs with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, JD McKissick suddenly says, I'm not going to Buffalo and, you know, reneges on the contract. And now they don't have Levi Wallace, who they would have used that money for. So that could have been another million dollars, though, even or whatever. But you have to be flexible in that regard to be able to do it. All of these things impact one another. So I think you have to be flexible. What if, you know, you you have a guy get injured even, you know, it could happen. Naeem Hines got hurt last year, remember, early on in, you know, the, in, in the offseason. I think you always have to be flexible. And then there's the fact that you have to have money available for injury replacement through the season. Like just getting under the cap is great, but as the season goes on, guys, the Bills, they're going to need probably they they need money for their rookie class. They're going to need money for injury replacement. You're still going to need a good 5 to 7 million dollars generally. Yeah. So yesterday, it's funny. We don't I don't think we often point out that one way to use cap space more effectively is more rookie deals. And I, I mentioned this yesterday. A caller late in the show was talking about the Bills cap situation. And the Bills are a team that, that you know, they like to trade up. They, they move up a spot or two. But if you're filling out your roster, I feel like the more draft picks you have on it that make it, if you've got 10 picks going into this draft, coming out of this draft with 10 players on rookie contracts is a – to me, that's like warp speed to getting things back cap compliant and feeling like you're good in the future versus, hey, we have 10 picks. We can trade up a couple times and use six of those selections, and then you're signing guys in free agency because even the cheap free agents end up being bigger cap hits uh, for the most part. So I feel like that that's another reason this draft is so important because they have the opportunity to kind of restock the cupboards. 100% right, Jeremy, but the issue is do you think 10 rookies are making this team? You know what I mean? Like you, you have to also think about the fact that you can draft all those guys, and that would be great if every one of them, ten, ten of them, had rookie contracts to be on your roster. But what's the chances that all ten of those guys are making your team? And you know, then you're taking away, and then how good is your team going to be if that's the case? Because now you only have a 53 man roster, right? So 43 guys who, on top of maybe an undrafted free agent, let's say, but you're talking 43 guys at least then who would be more than rookies, but you know, ten guys who are rookies. So I think you have to take into account that those guys might not even make your team. So if you're counting on that, I don't know, you know, how you go about it to just say like, Hey, we're going to make sure we keep him." And then the other thing is if you do draft him, you like him a lot and he doesn't make your team. You might wind up waving him at the end of, um, at the end of camp and then you lose him anyway. So I think it's a balancing act because while 10 picks is great and you're right about that and you want to keep it low, I think it's a dangerous game to play sometimes if you bring all these guys in and knowing we're going to work them and then we're going to lose them at the end because he's not going to make our team anyway. So we also got updates on Matt Milano and Tredavious White. Yeah, so, you know, really good, um, you know, that Brina Bean touched on their rehab and how they're attacking it. And, you know, he did not want to commit to exactly when either will be available to be you know, participating in on-field activities. They'll say they'll take it, you know, one step at a time, see where it goes, all those kinds of things. But, you know, I, I mean, just by judging from Milano being on the field at the end of the season for playoff games um, and the fact that he it was a, a broken leg, I feel myself confident that, you know, Milano's, he, he's going to be probably ready to go at some point during the offseason here and we're not going to have an issue. And, you know, thankfully it wasn't any torn ligaments and stuff like that. 
As far as Travis White's concerned, guys, it is really going to be interesting how they handle his situation because Bean even said they have to figure out when he's going to be. Is it six weeks from now? Is it one season from now? Is it two seasons from now? That's kind of that's what he said. And I'm thinking, boy, if that's the case, right, if that's the case, then you just can't live at all with the kind of money he's going to make in the contract. Now, I think a lot of fans already think that the Bills should move on from Tredavious White, or maybe they will move on. I don't think that. Now, that could happen, but he is on a $16 million cap hit this year. They're going to have to do something, I think, to restructure his contract. I can't see how they're going to be able to live with a $16 million cap hit for Tredavious White when you don't know. And Brandon Bean is talking about, we don't. hey, we have to find out if it's you know, game number five or two years from now. And maybe he's just, you know, leaving open all possibilities. I get that. And he also said it does matter that when in these situations, when you know the guy, you know his character, you know his DNA, and you know how hard he works, you're going to feel more confident that he's going to come back bigger, stronger, quicker than a lot of other people. So they're going to have to balance all this stuff with Tredavious. Sal Capaccio from Indianapolis at the NFL Combine. So we've heard from the coach and the GM, and now do we get more into the week and the testing? Yeah. Yeah, we do. So we're going to hear from defensive linemen and linebackers today, uh, and then they're going to start testing tomorrow. So really the podium stuff starts happening today with a lot of the prospects, and I think I don't know if I told you guys this, but it's – Kind of funny. In fact, I'm looking right now. Let me see what the first time is for this. Um, actually, starting this morning, there's some guys already kind of you know talking at podiums, but it rolls throughout the day. So what's funny is um, I, I said to Joe the other day, I think we would be drunk if we took a drink every time we heard the words, have you met with? Yeah. Because everybody in the media wants to know if you met with their team, right? Have you met with this team? Have you met with that team? So I said to Joe, yeah, if we took a drink every time you heard that, um, it, it wouldn't be, it'd be good for us. And you only get... These guys only get 10, 15 minutes on the podium anyway, you know, but you try to just kind of dig in and find out a little bit. But obviously, if you're, you know, interested in that group, you're going to want to be a little bit more interested in some of those players. Yeah, I mean, I think defensive line will be listening to find out if the Bills have met with some of these defensive linemen. And if, if they haven't, of course, there's the, you know, the visits that are the uh, each team gets their own 30 visits that you can come to the town. You also have pro days like there are other opportunities to meet with these players, but defensive line. I don't know, Sal, this, this draft, the Bills need a lot, but we're really keen in on, of course, receiver. But right there with it is defensive line. And there's, there's no doubt that they're going to want to remake their defensive line. No, I agree with that. And over the last few years, they've had, some, excuse me, they've had some challenges as far as replenishing like they do this year, guys. And I think this year, you look at the numbers, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight defensive linemen are scheduled to become free agents. Only three. Well, actually five, because two signed futures deals. Only five defensive linemen for the Bills are actually under contract heading into 2024. Right now, you know, as of March, Von Miller, Greg Rousseau, Kingsley Jonathan, and Cameron Klein on the edge. Ed Oliver and Ilianku at defensive tackle. And I think about that, only two. Ed Oliver and Ilianku are actually under contract at the Bills' defensive tackle position. That is an area where, but I always say, like, if you want to get Jordan Phillips back, maybe he doesn't want to play. I think he talked about possibly thinking about his future. You want to get a Jordan Phillips back. I think if you want to get a Tim Settle back, I don't think it takes a lot. You can probably do that. But Daquan Jones is going to be an interesting one. If you don't re-sign him, you know, he might cost a little more money. You got, you're going to have to find somebody because you know, he was such a big impact for your team. And maybe that comes through the draft. Maybe it comes through an early round where, you know, like you said earlier, you can now use a rookie contract in a guy like that. Sal Capaccio from Indianapolis. Thank you, Sal.
All right, guys. Have a good one. All right. So, of course, we'll be checking in during the Extra Point Show as uh, things roll along, the Northtown Automotive Extra Point Show. You know, this one, Sal sent an article up recapping what Bean had to say uh, at our website, WGR550.com. And one of the, it's funny, one of the lines in here, I heard something that Joe Shane said yesterday. GM of the Giants, right? Formerly of the Bills, worked with Brandon Bean, went to the Giants. And he said, we have faith in Daniel Jones, Mm -hmm. quarterback. And that was immediately met with like, oh, I get it. It's lying season for GMs. Because, of course, they don't have total faith in Daniel Jones. But I don't know if this is the Brandon Bean school of being a GM or who Bean learned this from. But I think you'll notice this an awful lot from Bean. He never says a bad word about anybody. Bean. No. And here's Shane saying, we believe in Daniel Jones. There's a quote here in Sal's piece from Bean. There's not a free agent I can think of that I'm going, man, I don't want that guy back. We'll have lots of conversations and see where it goes. But the reality is, there's no way he wants them all back. The the Brandon Bean school of being a GM is never to burn a bridge. Never burn any any bridge. And here's saying, there's not a guy I can think of that I think, I don't want that guy back. You know, trans, turn that around. I'd love all these guys back. He doesn't want them all back. No. There's no way. You can't have them all back. This team needs to be better in a number of spots. And whether that's they're going to draft young defensive ends, they're going to get help at defensive line, the Gabe Davis conversation, you know, Sal, I'll let everyone know the face you made. When <laughs> Sal said, you know, an extra X number of million dollars, does that mean the Bills are can keep Gabe Davis? Well, they didn't think they could, and you kind of, I would describe the look on your face as you shuddered. Like, oh, yeah. I think that's possible. But that number has to be very low. Nah, there's not a number for me. It would have to be so low. It would have it, to be the number he was on last year. Yeah, which doesn't seem realistic no. at all. So there's no way you want everybody back. Who else can you go get? What other ideas are there? I was thinking yesterday about trades and, you know, the Justin Fields trade. Is that going to happen before free agency? Will some of these trades happen before free agency? And... If there's a receiver to be traded out there, like what receivers are actually legitimately going to be traded? Yesterday I've got an article that says Justin Jefferson, Stefan Diggs, and Brandon Ayuk. And I think, like, okay, but who actually will be traded? Yeah, right. Jerry Judy is a name here. Sure. His name has been thrown out in trade rumors. And I was thinking about a, the idea of a Judy trade. And if you told me the Bills traded for Jerry Judy today, I think I'd be disappointed. Me too. Judy is an idea. Yeah. Forget forget price. I don't even think he'll be that expensive. But you wouldn't get the savings of a rookie receiver. Nope. But even past that, if the Bills were to make any sort of receiver move now, it would feel like they would limit the potential for what they can do. And I don't want that to happen. I don't want them to make any sort of move where it feels like they can't take the receiver in the first round based on who it might be that falls. I mean, if Troy Franklin is there and you don't take him because, well, we already made a trade for a receiver and we don't feel like we need one as much. I don't think there's really anything wrong with being desperate. The reality is the Bills are desperate. Should be desperate. Sure, both. They are very desperate at this position, and they've got to make it happen. I don't want them to shut a door on that early. I want to believe that they believe that they should be or are desperate for wide receiver. I felt like they should have been last year. Yes, for sure. So... Part of this is, yeah, what you're saying is right. Like, you don't want 
you don't want to put a ceiling or a cap on what they can do to get better in the draft, especially early in the draft. But that's not it, Jeremy. I know you too well. You want to wait for the draft so that we can all actually find out just how desperate they are. Because if they do nothing, if they don't get a, if they let's just say their answer at wide receiver is Noah Brown in free agency. Oh no! Right, that is that is a I don't even that's not even a move. That's barely a move, right? He's a good, he's a fine player and whatever, but that is not a move that should stop you from taking a wide receiver in every round. But I guess my point is, is I think you and myself and a lot of people want to know what they actually think of their room at wide receiver. And the only way that we're really going to know that is if they don't really make a move in free agency, how high they pick a receiver, yeah. how aggressive they get on draft. Day. Are they going to move up for one? Cause they've moved up for defenders. They've moved up for Dalton Kincaid. Would they move up for a receiver? Because doing it in the first round would really be the first time they admitted. We got to get, we, we need something here. Bad Wait, we need someone good. We need to spend a premium asset at this position Right now. The first time since 2020 when they traded for Diggs. Yeah. Which, you know, that was a premium asset. I bet they will sign at least one. Maybe that's Sherfield back for cheap. Sure. I mean, Sherfield didn't do much. Maybe they're plenty satisfied with what he did. Hardy's a restructure slash cut candidate. Save money there. That just didn't really do much. He did have a big play. He did. In the game against Miami. And he did start to show a little bit of the yak ability. But he was never really a part of the offense. It is, it is the – maybe it's – I don't want to go cart before the horse here because what has to happen is they've got to fill out their roster, and then we go to training camp, and then we start asking Joe Brady, like, all right, what are you going to do with this offense? How are you going to build this? But what they did last year under Brady is kind of scary, and even to a point where – I don't know if you caught this. I, I've referenced a few times Adam Rank had a piece at NFL.com three blockbuster receiver trades that should happen. And he listed Diggs here as one of the trades that should happen. And whatever, you push that aside. Forget what you think about Diggs and that idea. He wrote this paragraph about the Diggs idea that I found to be bone-chilling. Ready? The Bills became more of a running team under Brady, who, who earned the full-time gig in January. Full-time offensive coordinator gig. Meaning, ready for this, Nate? Digs became more of a luxury. Kind of like a satellite cable service. It might have been cool a decade ago. Now it's just a fancy decoration on your roof. Is Adam Rank suggesting that good receivers are a luxury and the Bills don't need them? The idea, he's leaning in on they should trade him because they became a running team? Yeah, that's, that's a little crazy. To me, that's the wrong takeaway. They're not about to be this heavy run team. They had one game against Dallas where they ran their faces off because it worked. Yep. Brady flat out said, that wasn't the plan. It just worked. Yeah. We just kept going. So, Adam Rank, yeah, trade digs because, you know, you don't really need him anymore. <laughs> what? Like a spit take. Yeah. So I found that chilling. And I'm hoping it's, again, cart before a horse. We're going to... We're going to see, if they go receiver in the first round, I can also, I think, put to bed any sort of fear that this is a run-heavy team. Mm-hmm. If you come back with yeah, you're right. If you come yeah. back with Noah Brown and no high draft pick, 
And I'm just or a second or a third round pick. Sure. Yeah. And I've replaced Davis with a cheaper version of Davis that's exactly the same. You know, I could still be a good passing team because I've got Josh Allen and Shakir and Kincaid both look really good and like they might take the next step and I think Diggs is still great. But man, I I, I need that receiver not only to help the passing game, but to show me that it is still the thing that they value. It's still their fastball. That's I, that's a term McDermott has used. I want to feel like the Bengals. Yeah. And if you have you let's say this. If they end up with a really good first round <laughs> receiver, Jeremy, and he's good right away. And you have Diggs, really good receiver, really good uh, emerging Shakir, and really good Dalton Kincaid. Oh, you're unstoppable. And a good running game? Yeah. 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 Let's see it. Yeah. Sabres head coach Don Granado, we rescheduled him from yesterday to next segment. So stay tuned. We'll ask him about uh, his bench minor and their loss in Florida last night. 803-0550 if you want to chime in. Sabres head coach Don Granado next. It's time to talk Sabres hockey. Let's get the inside story. Here's Sabres head coach Don Granado. The Don Granado Show is being brought to you by Firth Jewelers. For all the moments in your life, go forth to Firth. By Losi and Ganji, workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys, working hard for hard-working Western New Yorkers. By Roy's Plumbing, just call Roy's today. We'll take the worry away. And by Town Ford. When you think Ford, think of Town Ford. Now with head coach Don Granado, here's Jeremy White and Joe DiBiase. Good morning, Jeremy and Nate. Joe's off today. We'll get right to it with Sabres head coach Don Granado. Don, good morning. Good morning, Jeremy and, and Nate. Good morning. So, lost last night to the Florida Panthers. I want to ask, I mean, might as well get right to it. The, the bench minor and uh, what, what goes on in those moments and how, how, I mean, you looked pretty fired up and officiating was a, a bit of a conversation after the game. Well, I, I can tell you I was a lot more fired up than I looked. Um, I, don't, I don't know quite what I looked like, but uh, unfortunately you've got you to have some control. <laughs> but... Uh, very, very frustrating. Um, and as I mentioned after the game, you, you, as a coach, you're 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 in a tough position because you're you need to stand up for your players. Uh, you know, you want them focused on the game. Um, when you uh, see what transpired, um, didn't like it, and it was uh, it was a tough one. Um, thought there were. Uh, the call that was made um, had not been called earlier in the game, and a couple of times uh, Thompson coming through neutral ice, uh, Greenway in the offensive zone, and then now the call that call was made. So, um, it, it, among other things, uh, you know, in that game with our guys taking punches to the heads and and no call, and you know, you ask your team to to play from uh, puck drop to the whistle. Um, you, you know, they they do it, and then they take an extra punch after the whistle, uh, uh, and you don't benefit from it. I mean, those are the things that uh, that, that can frustrate you and and, and add up. So, um, and, and a big thing too, you, you know, I think um, as a coach, you um, and as a team, you, you want everybody wants communication, everybody wants uh, respect, and. Um, you know, there there needs to be that communication. Uh, Clifton had a penalty. I think everyone knows that uh, in that game it's pretty easy to see. Uh, he goes to the box, but 
there was nothing. It was the, uh, the, the player's stick and his own stick. It wasn't, it wasn't Clifton. And uh, we ended up killing a penalty for that. So lots of things added up, obviously. And, again, you're in a position where you have to stand up. Unfortunately, you're in a position – uh, you're in a position as a coach, you got to stand up for your team. And unfortunately, different situations arise where, um, you know, you, you feel you're, you're put in a spot where you absolutely have to. Yeah. Without making it results-based and more process there, I mean, it sounds like you feel like it's important for you to show that emotion in that moment. They, they score on the five-on-three. Did you have any regrets or have you had regrets since then about how that all transpired? Or is it just something you feel is indeed necessary? Well, you know, again, if you look at the standard that's set and has been set for fifty some games, um, but we haven't had a, we haven't had a call uh, in in that situation. You know, very rarely uh, our teams put five on three, but also very rarely is that called without a warning, without communication prior. Um, so, um, I mean, you. You can regret anything, um, but you, you know you're in a. If a standard set, and I could go game to game to game, when has that ever been called like that? Um, you know, we're at game fifty, whatever, and and uh, fifty eight, fifty nine now, and uh, that hasn't been called. So, how do you predict it then? Yeah. Don, I wanted to ask you about uh, Zach Benson because I was just on Twitter and there's like a minute, minute and a half long like highlight reel of bad calls against him specifically. And like he gets the the call early in the first period where he gets called for a hold that didn't really look like a hold. And then he gets taken down in the corner and it's a four on four. Like, how do you as a coach look at Zach, who's a young player? I joked with Jeremy. I'm like, well, he's too young to have a reputation to be getting ticky tack calls all the time. But. The way that he plays, you want him to play the way that he plays. He plays with a huge engine. I call him like the, the muscle hamster when he plays because he's just he's small, but he plays with a lot of energy. As a coach, how do you just tell him, you, you keep going, don't worry about those types of calls. We need you to play this certain way. Well, that's just it. You're, if you're going to be telling him that, at some point you've got you to stand up for him. You, know, you, you want him focused on hockey. Um, so at some point you, you – you can't you can't support him and, and try to you know maintain help him maintain a focus on playing and then not defend him. Um, and the first call that you, you referenced was a coincidental call, uh, meaning they took both players. And but if you look at how Zach was thrown into the boards, um, and a number of injuries could have happened because of the way he was thrown into the back wall. Um, and that should not, I mean, it's, it's tough to say, wow, that's equal, you know, two for one guy, two for the other guy. Um, when you have excess liberties taken. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 that's what you do. I guess, Nate, is you, you, you know, you're, you want him to maintain a focus on playing the right way, playing, playing hard, um, but you've got to make sure you back him up when you're doing that, as, saying that as a coach, and you want him to stay focused on that. You've got to help him out. It, it was almost two consecutive games of comebacks that are fueled maybe a bit by you know, the team feeling like there's been injustice. I mean, Carolina was the Hurricanes getting a lead in a power play that felt like it was the wrong call, and then Owen Power scores that goal to tie it. There's a lot of emotion in the building. Last night, 
you get it to 3-2 on the Thompson goal. And I wonder if the, the players feel that in that moment. You know, you're on the road. Maybe you're embattled. Anybody that's played in an environment where you feel like, I'm not. these are my words, not yours, but the officials are working against you. Sometimes that can kind of, I don't know, galvanize the group. Like, we're going to, you know, bleep these guys. We're going to win. And it's two straight games it felt like the team was playing with that late in the game. Yeah, I, I would agree on that. Um you know, again, there's, uh, th- there was plenty of, that you could be aggravated with, and I think our guys were. Um, but, you know, they, they want to win. They, they feel they can. They see a way they can. And, um, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy uh, for that. I'm proud of them for that. Um, you know, you, 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 you fight all sorts of elements. Let's face it, we're in sports. You're always going to fight different elements and, and elements we're talking about, and, and, and you got to rise. So, um, you know, at the end of it, there, there is no excuse, but, um, but you know, it's, it's going to be part of it. Uh, it's, it's another piece of adversity. That's part of what we do. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, you want to win. So yeah, not happy with it. Don end of game strategy, communication to get Luke in and off the ice. What is, do you guys have a, a process you follow there? It seemed like there were a couple of opportunities for him to maybe go, and then when he does, he gets sent back into his own end, and maybe you, you didn't get nearly as much time with an extra attacker that maybe you could have. How, how do you guys design the game plan in those moments? Is it opponent-specific? Is it game-specific? It's it's situation, really. Um, situa- there is there is a, an element of all of that, Jeremy, so you, you – You've watched their uh, five on six for them um, prior to the game. You know, you know, you know, in all likelihood how they posture, what they do. Um, but when it comes down to the to the running clock in the last three minutes, you're, you're managing it. But you know, unlike football, there's not a stoppage. Uh, you have to create the stoppage. You know, and and get a whistle. Um, so now you're at the mercy of line rotation. Um, are there five fresh guys? Are there two fresh guys are out and three still need to change? Uh, what's the situation coming off the other bench? Is it their top line? Um, you know, is it our top line? Uh, you know, for us last night, um, you know, is Darlene, is Darlene power out there? Um, you know, all of those are happening over the course of, if there's no whistle over the course of three minutes. So you're trying to gauge all of that. And obviously the possession and what, what part of the ice is possession? What posture is the other team in when you have possession? I mean, line change, do you think you're going to get access to the zone? If you do, you can come now even when you're in the neutral zone. So, uh, so many different elements to, to uh, um, you know, to be computing while that clock is running uh, and not knowing if you're going to get another stoppage. Um, so every day is a little bit different uh, in regard to that, but, but those are some of the things you're watching for. Sabres head coach Don Granado joining us. Don, big picture, one of the changes you've made that I think has gone pretty well, Peyton Krebs uh, in more of a scoring potential role. We saw him on the feed to Owen Power. And I wonder if you're at all surprised by Krebs' uh, resurgence there. I mean, he, he came in as a prospect that was highly touted in his playmaking ability and had been asked to play a different role for a little while. So where do you see Krebs his uh, his current game and how this might all blend together. Yeah, you know, he, he was put in a different role. I, I don't know that he was necessarily asked uh, to play a different role in the sense of uh, for his career, uh, say. But what we did is we talked a lot about him, uh, a lot to him about 
his role being with Akposo and Jurgensen in, in a fourth line capacity and said, hey, Peyton, we, we have all the faith in the world in you and your potential and the skill uh, game that you can play uh, and potential. But you didn't have an opportunity in junior because you don't. You don't in junior, you, you, you just score. <laughs> you, you don't really need – no one holds you accountable for any mistakes because you're one of the best players in, in the world uh, when you're a junior player, uh, his caliber. Uh, and the coach is throwing you in offensive situations. You don't have to pay attention to defense. You don't have to pay attention to details in, uh, in those areas or situational awareness. So he, he – he, uh, you know, alongside Ocposo and Gergensen's, I think he, he absorbed a lot from those two. Uh, in, in building a foundation for his game, situational awareness. We went through a lot in film. And now when we move him up a line uh, or two, uh, put him back in more of a scoring role, he has a foundation under him uh, that just he can discern situations and pick his spots uh, with more intelligence and more hindsight, more awareness, and um, we'll have a better player at the end of that. And I think we're seeing that. Don, do you use that as like a developmental model for guys that are coming up? Like, I mean, you have a lot of offensive-minded players in the system in Rochester right now, and whether it's the end of this year or the beginning of next year, especially during training camp, do you view like how you guys have slowly developed, and you're talking about developing his defensive game, and now you look at him as, a, as probably a more polished two-way player rather than an offensive-heavy player. When you have guys like that in your system, is that a model that you guys want to use moving forward to get your team filled with players that can play both ways? Yes, uh, Nate, and I think it's not that we want to. It's that now we're in that spot that we can. I think, you know, when when I uh, came in here, you know, in, in, in two and a half years ago or uh, you know, three, three and a half, well, I'm in my third full season now, um, we, we needed to take players like Middlestead, Thompson, and Cousins and make them believe they were legitimate NHL scorers. And we just, we needed to score. And, and, and so you forewent, okay, some of the stuff that you're now be able to do with Peyton Krebs and say, hey, you really, your first focus when you come to the NHL has got to be on this, building this foundation. And we were, we were a franchise that we just needed to create some, some, some energy of scoring and, and some star power in and, and, and that regard. And so that first phase of guys, had that opportunity uh, and they, they did a nice job. Middlestead and Thompson and, and, uh, and Tuck, obviously career highs and cousins. And now as a team, they're all getting better defensively. You know, they, they've gotten better this year in those situations as our team needs to do it. And, and Peyton's almost been in the reverse. And I've used Peyton as an example. What he's gone through is kind of what our team is going through right now. Um, that you know through through a big part of the season is, is learning how to play that style of game um knowing that our scoring will come back and building that base stronger and uh so yeah it's it's we're in a better situation as a franchise now to do what we're do, doing with Peyton with with players coming up uh this point forward Sabres head coach Don Granado Don thanks for the time enjoy the rest of the trip and uh, best of luck tomorrow in Tampa Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Don Granado's appearance here on WGR is brought to you by Firth Jewelers. For all the moments in your life, go forth to Firth by Losey and Ganji, workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. 
working hard for hardworking Western New Yorkers. By Town Ford, when you think of Ford, think of Town Ford. And by Royce Plumbing, just call Royce today. We'll take the worry away. When we get back, it is Comeback Trivia, your chance to win a $50 gift card to Acropolis. Opa. Comeback Trivia, next. Time for Comeback Trivia from Acropolis. You win a $50 gift card to Acropolis. You can eat like a king. Love Acropolis. So here it is. It's always comeback-based trivia. One of the best comebacks of all time. The Red Sox and Yankees in the ALCS when the Red Sox trailed three games to none at home. Game four, bottom of the ninth. Who sparked the rally by stealing second base in the ninth for the Boston Red Sox? First correct caller to 2214WGR wins a $50 gift card to Acropolis. Who sparked the rally for the Red Sox stealing second base? I mean, first, you know, somebody got on base and then stole second. Hmm? We'll get our correct answer and then we'll let you know. And then the winner can go to Acropolis. You can go whenever you want, though. You don't have to win this contest to go. You it's, can right, just, it's right next to my barber. You can just so go. Yeah. It's, it's pretty convenient for me. Nice. We got our correct answer. We got our winner. <laughs> it is funny, though. Josh, when I was telling him what the question was going to be, he said, I don't know who this is. Like, well, yeah. I've got an idea. You're probably a little too young for this. This is where me, Grandpa, starts telling you old <laughs> stories from Jeez. way back in the day. We Grandpa. have... We have a winner. Of course, those of you that remember that fateful game, it was Dave Roberts. Oh, okay. Didn't a know pinch that. runner, Dave Roberts, is going to come in for Boston. He can run. Picked up from the Dodgers. Miller still waiting for his first pitch. Roberts is going. Posada's throw. Roberts, safe. Let me tell you, watching that highlight back, it's pretty cool. One, it's a close play. Dave Roberts, like the... Coach for the the Dodgers, like the manager for the Dodgers, same guy. Yep. Wow. Okay. I, that feels I feel old a little on that one. Then he's only fifty one. Yeah. But uh, on that play, how about Joe Buck? Dave Roberts. He can run. First pitch. He's running. Listen, I know Joe Buck gets a lot of he catches a lot of strays. He is the elite baseball announcer, man. I I those World Series with him is yeah. he was. That's when you knew it was big time baseball. Like it was, it was the, it was the big time of year, important time of year when Joe Buck was was calling baseball games. I don't think I would dispute that. I don't think I would. Who else? Who? When I'm thinking about World Series highlights, who I'm hearing sometimes there's Bob Costas in there, but I think Joe Buck is probably right. Yeah, there's a lot of Buck. Yeah. Anyway, Dave Roberts. Let's come back trivia. Susan wins. Congratulations, Susan. You've won a fifty dollars gift card to Acropolis. Opa. Comeback trivia. That one was an easy one. Sometimes we've done, like, comeback player of the year trivia, and uh, this one is just... I, it's, it's a good one. Let me think of a great comeback. It's oh, what that's the kids right. would say is a deep cut. Yeah. Maybe. Kind of. That was back when, it's funny, like, the 3-0 series deficit was this un... You could never do it. And it happens now, all the time now, now in every sport. It's, it's been done a few times. Yeah. Not that unusual anymore. Still... Unlikely, but not exactly unusual. 803-0550, our phone number. When we return, we're talking combine, talking draft prospects. This is uh, quarterbacks, receivers, Derek Klassen. He is at uh, on Twitter at QB Class with a K and writes for 
one of my favorite sites, Reception Perception, Bleacher Report, the 33rd team. So we're going to dig in the quarterbacks a bit and find out how many are going to go. The main reason I think, Nate, you can speak to this, to focus on the quarterbacks is because we want as many to go as possible. Seven. Draft them all. (laughs) Get them out of there. Move that Bills pick up seven spots, basically, by getting all quarterbacks in the first round, as many as you want. So, Derek Klassen joins us uh, next. 803-0550 to join us on WGR. Brian Thomas is easy. To me, we'll get a chance to see him show a more variety of routes out here when he works out as well as pro day because he didn't have to do a bunch of different routes there at LSU. It was death by slot fade with those guys. I mean, they just won vertically time after time after time. But he's fast. He's smooth. He can go up and get it, play above the rim down there in the red zone. Daniel Jeremiah with One Bills Live yesterday on Brian Thomas Jr., who as of right now, is sitting in mock drafts around the Bills pick. You're seeing the big three at receiver. And then the fourth guy comes off the board in the 20s, sometimes as late as the Bills. But, of course, the big three, Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors, Rome Adunze. And receivers run on Saturday at the Combine. Good morning. Jeremy White with you. Nate took off. Joe's off today. And uh, Josh Schmidt producing, hooking up with Derek Klassen of the 33rd team and Bleach Report and Reception Perception as well in just a moment on the Combine and things to look for. He's predicting 40 times of receivers, and I'm going to want to get into what that could mean. You know, if there's there's one thing that might change a player's stock, it might just be that this player runs faster than people think. I mean, some teams will fall in love with speed and a speedster. Sometimes, you know, you see the speed on tape, you'll hear the phrases like, the guy plays fast. Or then there's just, you know, lightning speed. So we'll get to all that and the quarterbacks as well as we, uh, you know, kick it up with Derek Klassen joining us on the Western Hotline. Derek, good morning. Good morning to you guys. How are you doing? We're good. We're good. We're, um, you know, we're waiting for the Bills offseason to begin and trying to figure out, you know, the right way to go. I'll, I'll be honest, though, Derek, a lot of the conversation around here, you know, for some of us it's been three years in the making. But this year it is a near-unanimous conversation about the need for help at receiver. Uh, I felt the Bills probably needed it before Gabe Davis was a UFA, and now that Davis is a UFA, a lot of our conversation really just it, it is like the earth rotating the sun about receivers for the Bills in this draft. I mean, they kind of they kind of have to go with one, right? And I think it's interesting. They could go a number of ways. I think if they want to just straight up replace a guy like Davis, they could go for, I don't know, a Troy Franklin, uh, Troy Franklin out of Oregon. I think he's actually a pretty similar player, but to me, a more put together route runner. So if they still want a bigger vertical guy, I think he could kind of fit in there. I think if maybe somebody like Keon Coleman falls to them and they can get more of a big body winner, I think that would also work. I think that's the kind of interesting thing. If they could go a number of ways, and I don't really know what they want to do offensively, so it's kind of hard to like pencil in exactly what they're going to want to go for. Yeah, I was talking about that earlier with Joe Brady, who've only seen a half of his offense, half a season, and even then, it's not like they built it for him, which you would think they would do that a little bit more. If looking at this receiver class, 
I, I think the thing the Bills should probably be doing is looking not for a, a Davis clone or Davis replacement necessarily, but the most likely guy that could transition from a two to a one and be kind of built up into that. Because with the age of Stefan Diggs, the Bills have to be planning not only for this season, but for future seasons to build out Josh Allen's receiver court. If there's a, if there's a guy that you might like in that mold, uh, a guy that can come in and contribute, but there's a lot of room for growth, who, who is the name at the top of your list for that that is available in the late first round? They might need to move up a smidgen, but I think Brian Thomas Jr. is, is probably their best bet there because I think he's a guy where you can see why he would produce right away. He's long, he's fast. Um, He's not as much of a ball winner as you would think for a guy his size, but he's, I, I think he like tracks the ball really well down the field, which is good for him. But it's probably going to take him a little bit to, to sort out his route tree, I think, because I think he was a decent route runner at LSU, and you can see the explosion. You can see some pretty decent nuance in certain spots, but his route tree was very limited. So I think it's going to take some time for him to, like you said, blossom from maybe a number two, number three, into like a true number one. So I think he's probably their best bet. Like, like I said, it might take him moving a couple of spots, but... I don't think it would take anything too crazy to go go up and get him. Derek Lesson on the Western Hotline. What moves receivers the most? Is it forty times? I mean, the combine matters. In in pro days matter. Interviews matter. But the forty time is the thing that's going to jump off the page if a guy puts up a crazy number. Forty time is definitely going to jump out. And again, that's always based on you know weight. If if a guy is you know five eight one seventy five, it's not as cool if he runs a four three as opposed to a guy who's you know two hundred pounds or whatever. But um. I think the three-cone is actually a big one. I mean, three-cone is kind of where you see it's as close of an approximation here as you're going to get to, like, how well does a guy sink into routes? How well can he explode out? What's his change of direction like? That's probably a little bit more useful for some of your, you know, slot Z players than it might be for your X receiver because your X receiver is probably not going to be doing as much of that bending, snapping, all that sort of stuff. But I think if you're looking for those type of receivers, like, you know, I don't know. Roman Wilson, I think, is a good example in this class. I expect him to have a good three cone because you watch him play. Just so snappy, so agile. Change of direction is so smooth. That's the type of stuff I'm looking at for receivers here. Speaking with Derek Klassen on the Western Hotline uh, about the combine coming up. We've got, quarter, we've got receiver testing coming up on Saturday. Watch a lot of other positions as well. Before we get to the quarterbacks, which I want to do, I, I know you've recently written about uh, Brock Bowers at Georgia, and there's the history of tight ends early, and then there's the athletic freaks and the way that the game has changed. So w- what's your feeling on Bowers in terms of how high he should go? I think Bowers is, is fantastic. Like I, I think the whole thing with the – the tight ends in the first round and all that stuff. I think people are just getting too hung up on a couple of like the most obvious misses um, because even some of the ones that people are like pinning his misses, I don't even think that that's the case. Like TJ Hawkinson, sure. He got traded, but he's a good player. Kyle Pitts again, injured, but he's a really good player. Like it's not like all of these guys are terrible. In the case of Brock Bowers, I just think in today's game yards after the catch is probably the most valuable thing you can do as a pass catcher. And I think Brock Bowers is one of the most special yards after catch players I've ever seen. Not just tight ends, like players I've ever seen. Um, he just has unbelievable speed. He's incredibly balanced for a guy who is not all that big. He's probably like 240 pounds. Um, and then he just has great length. The route running is already is already pretty mature. Really, the only issue with him is like, you know, is he big enough to play in line as a blocker? But you watch him and it's like, yeah, he's not going to be George Kittle just like mowing people down, but like he's going to get the job done. And I don't think it's going to be a problem for him to play in line. So he's just a guy to me where you can play him anywhere. He has all the explosive talent that you want. He's really long in terms of his arms. So like he kind of checks every box and sure we can get scared about tight ends, but 
there's no more than like five, six players who are better than him in this class, and that's that's still going to go really high regardless of position. Yeah, the evolution of the position too. Like we're seeing a lot of teams use them in different ways. There's there's more athleticism. The Bills just went tight end in the first round last year with Dalton Kincaid. We watched Sam Laporta have a great rookie season. Do you feel like it also changes with the position that guys – I remember going into last year like, well, historically tight ends don't come in and contribute, and here's both Kincaid and Laporta contributing in great ways. And I would expect maybe you think Powers can do the same exact thing, which is forget history. The tight end position itself has changed enough that we can kind of push that history aside. Definitely, and I I think that's for a couple reasons. One, I think teams are less less dead set on using their tight end as like a safety blanket type. And I think they're more willing to accept that like, yeah, this can be our explosive play type. Like, um, like you said, Sam Laporta, that the, the amount of deeper routes he ran uh, for the lions is kind of crazy for a tight end. Uh, I thought that was really impressive. And that was kind of when you knew how he was going to be good, just how they were using him. Um, but I think Brock Bowers absolutely has that. I think the other thing is teams are getting better about kind of working around using your tight end as, you know, a point man um, in the run game. Because that was always, I think, the big thing is when you come in as a tight end, you're kind of playing two positions. You're playing receiver. You're playing offensive tackle. They've kind of eliminated the tackle part just by doing a lot more gap runs, doing a lot where these guys are making blocks on the move as as opposed to just being a point man and and trying to take on a defensive end. So I think between those two things, like you said, you can get guys like Dalton Kincaid, Sam Laporta, who just come in right away, and it's like, okay, their athleticism and pass catching kind of trumps all. Derek Klassen on Twitter, at QB Class, uh, class with a K. All right, let's get to the quarterbacks, Derek, because one thing we're hoping, at least I am, is that as many as possible go, right? If you're a team that doesn't need a quarterback, you want to load up that first round with quarterbacks, and better talent slides to the Bills. So what's the number? How many do you think ultimately go in the first round? I think we're going to get four. Um, you know, the first two are obvious, and then we're going to get Jaden Daniels. I'm pretty sure we're going to get J.J. McCarthy probably sooner than people realize. And I, I think people are assuming that, you know, if, the, if all those guys go top eight, let's say, I think people are assuming somebody else is going to reach at some point for a quarterback. I just don't see it. I think with Michael Penix, you know, you have um, the age and the injury concerns. I think with Bo Nix, he's had enough opportunities at this point to kind of prove himself throughout the process, you know, especially in Mobile. Didn't seem really like that happened, so... I kind of just struggle to see a world where a fifth quarterback ends up going in the first round. And on the strength of the quarterbacks, you know, putting these guys, Drake May and Caleb Williams, in context of the last couple drafts, how highly would you would you rate them? You know, the Trevor Lawrence year or whatever. Sometimes we get a generational prospect. How high are you putting those two? So Trevor, to me, was like kind of untouchable. I thought he was just unbelievable like the, the the pocket presence the arm talent the accuracy some of the decisions he was making I, to me he was just kind of an untouchable prospect so i don't think he's quite as good as those guys but right in that tier below where they where these are guys you are still very comfortably taking first overall that's kind of where i see caleb and drake like and i think a lot of people are getting you know very defensive about you know if you love one you can't really love the other i don't think that's true i would take both of these guys first overall and Whichever way you want to sort them, I don't really care. I think they're both fantastic prospects. Yeah, one thing I wonder is, you know, there's <laughs> the the way the position is played these days. I'm, I'm seeing a, a phrase about Caleb Williams that's arm elasticity, right? Throwing from all these different angles and platforms. And when I think about the comps for Williams, you know, you'll see comps to Mahomes because he does crazy things and he he has these highlight reel plays. 
But one of the things that you got to be as a quarterback is willing to play on schedule and taking what's there. And I wonder if quarterbacks now are are more drafted for upside and because of the you know the the, the elite traits. If you can do something elite then the rest of it can be worked out. I mean, Bills fans here have seen this kind of happen with Josh Allen, right? The elite arm talent and the elite athleticism, and they were able to kind of build the rest of it in and turn him into a complete quarterback. I wonder how many teams are approaching these these top-flight draft pick quarterbacks with the same idea, that show me something elite and that'll get you drafted. I think you almost have to now, and I think there's there's two reasons for that. One, you look at the top of the league, all of these guys have some sort of elite physical calling card, right? Whether it's um, arm strength, arm, you know, this arm elasticity that, that, that Mahomes has, um, Josh Allen being basically a cyborg playing quarterback, Justin Herbert kind of along the same lines. Like, all these guys have some sort of physical superpower, so I think teams are realizing, okay, if we want to contend with that, kind of need somebody who can do that as well. I think the other thing is, like, the college game just doesn't look like the pro game whatsoever. It doesn't really matter what program you go and look at. The college offenses almost everywhere around the country don't really look like pro offenses, and so you know, 25 years ago when they did, it was like, okay, we can draft guys who it seems like they are very pro-ready. It's just really, I think, tougher to find those guys um, and tougher to find plays that immediately and directly translate now. So you kind of just swing on guys where it's like, okay, well, he reacts to stuff fast and he's a super athlete. Let's see if we can figure it out. And I think, you know, to your point, both Caleb and Drake kind of kind of check those boxes. Yeah. Derek Klassen on the Western Hotline on this draft class. You, you do work for Bleacher Report, 33rd team, and also Reception Perception, where you chart quarterbacks. And, you know, the site, Reception Perception, one of my favorites, the work that you guys do, that Matt does, that you do in charting these players. I want to ask you one question about Josh Allen and the type of receiver that he should get before we let you go, which is that the Bills are looking for explosive plays. And that's something their head coach and their GM have both said. They had zero explosive plays in their playoff loss to the Chiefs. You want to say that's limitations at receiver, whatever it might be. Play design, it could be a number of things. It could be a drop. I mean, Stefan Diggs dropped the deep ball, and so did Trent Sherfield. But what I want to get at is the Bills have never, with Josh Allen, been, it seems like really rarely, I should say, maybe never, been a good yak team, yards after catch. And they're chasing that to some degree. And one of the things I want to ask you is, how much of that is Allen, the types of throws he picks, the types of plays they, they like? Because for them to always be missing out on yak plays, I wonder how much that comes down to personnel and how much that comes down to the type of offense and types of throws that Allen chooses, because you've charted him extensively. So what's the right answer there to find this yards after catch that's eluded the Bills for years and years of Allen's time? I think it's a little bit of both, right? Because I think you look at the roster, and outside of Stefan Diggs, I don't think they've really had that many yak guys recently. Shakir is actually not bad with the ball in his hands, so maybe he, he kind of fits into that bucket as well. But generally, they haven't had guys who are just very obviously insane yak stars. So I do think that that's part of it. I do think part of it is, is the way that Allen plays, though, because I think he's kind of grown into a guy who, you know, he doesn't do as much of the go crazy and just I'm going to break structure stuff as much. And I think he's really grown into a guy who, does a lot of, you know, we're going to run 15 quick game concepts a game. I'm going to check down a lot. And then every now and then I'm going to heave it down the field when I need to. And so I think there's kind of not as much work in that intermediate area, which to me is where you get a lot of your yards after catch. Uh, at least like your explosive opportunities, you're going to get yards after catch when you throw two yards. You know, eventually, you know, 
guys are going to try to come up and rally and stuff. But um, I think the intermediate area is where you really get your big yak opportunities. I mean, look at all the Shanahan guys. Like that's that's yeah. really the, where they make their money with the the big crossers, glance routes, all that sort of stuff. So I think if they could maybe incorporate more of that into the Bills offense and then, like I said, also get one guy who clearly has a little bit of juice to him. I think that that could kind of solve the problem. And maybe unlocking that is offensive coordinator Joe Brady in his first full season. How, how did you like the half season you saw, and what about Brady's body of work before this? He's, a, he's an interesting one. I was actually, I don't know if uh, this is the right platform to say, I was kind of a Ken Dorsey apologist. I thought he was fine. I really think a lot of the issues the Bills offense had were just like, Josh Allen was throwing interceptions, and so everything looks terrible when that's happening. I think they fired Dorsey, promoted Brady, and I think maybe Allen kind of realized, like, okay, I'm going to settle down and not do that, and that kind of fixed the offense. But to me, I didn't really see anything that much better or worse with Brady calling the plays. I think maybe the run game had a little bit less of an identity, but I think the passing game was still largely what it needed to be. And when you have a quarterback like Allen, that's kind of all that matters. So. You know, I don't. I don't know if this is going to be a superstar hire that they they think it might be, or like people thought Joe Brady might be three, four years ago. But I think he's going to be at the baseline, and I think they're going to be perfectly fine. All right, very good, Derek Klassen of the Thirty Third Team Reception Perception Bleach Report. Derek, thanks for the time. Enjoy the rest of the combine. Thank you so much. You guys have a good one. All right, you can follow him on Twitter, and I would recommend at uh, QB Class the uh, Reception Perception website. I love Reception Perception. For those of you that are needing more and all as much quarterback and receiver stuff, I mean, Derek charts the quarterbacks at Reception Perception, and Matt Harmon does the receivers. It's just it's such a great tool. They're getting into free agent receivers. You want to know what to think about Marquise Brown. I mean, it's just really detailed how they succeed against press, how they succeed against man, how they uh, beat double coverage, what kind of routes they run, how often they run them, their success rate on those routes. It's really, really good receptionperception.com and for Derek it's charting quarterbacks charting week to week you know you want to see how Josh Allen played in week four he'll be he'll have charted him from week four last year against the Dolphins when he lit them up it was just it's just a really cool site so would uh give it my highest recommendation 8030550 is our phone number 1888552550 when we return this day in history there are two of them yeah, that's right. Josh knows one. You told me one. There's uh, two of them, four years apart, memorable, involving the same person. We'll get to that. You'll remember them both. You'll remember the person. You'll remember both days. You might think of both of them as kind of sad days. But it's okay, because there's some fun to come out of it. 803 one eight 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 five fifty two five fifty on WGR. Yes, it's giveaway time. We've got another prize to give away. You can win a pair of tickets to the men's college basketball tournament watch party at Seneca Resort and Casino. Thursday, March 21st, or Sunday, March 24th. This open court ticket includes unlimited access to the fantastic buffet, five, five hours of tournament viewing, high-speed internet, and a cash bar. First come, first serve seating. Must be 21 and up to win. Visit SenecaNiagaraCasino.com for details. So, caller five wins a pair of tickets. 2214 WGR. Okay, so this day in history, there were two days... In history, same day, February 28th, four years apart, involving the same person 
I won't say the same person was, if not the main character, one of the main characters. So the first one I saw is this is the anniversary of the Ryan Miller trade. Miller and Steve Ott traded to St. Louis, which, boy, looking back on that, if you had been told it was going to go this way, I mean, it's definitely not the reason it went this way, and we've been watching the Sabres fall short for a decade, but it's a long time ago. He played for a long time after that. You know, when he got traded, you might have held this belief in your heart, like, well, okay, it's necessary now. Let's let's set him free and see if he comes back. And, of course, that never did happen. He bounced around and had a really nice career. He came back for Ryan Miller night. But, you know, Miller has good years in Anaheim after that. Like, he just, I don't know, I kind of felt like he was going to come back. And when he was traded in 2014, he goes to the Blues. Not a great playoff run for him. Immediately goes then with the Canucks and has three good seasons with Vancouver from a safe percentage standpoint. Anaheim after that for four seasons and then calls it a career. Miller ends up playing 796 career games, but he and Steve Ott moved in that trade. And do you remember what the Sabres got in that trade? Like the big pieces? It wasn't exactly the biggest haul. (laughs) It was Chris Stewart. There was a first-round pick involved. The first-round pick was then traded to Winnipeg in the – Patrick Kane or Evander, Evander Kane. Kane, and then that pick was used to pick Jack Roslevic, who's like a you know relevant. Well, for a bit, was a relevant. Sure, player. sure. Ten years ago today, the Blues trade Yaroslav Halak, who ended up being good and never played for the Sabers. I think he didn't want to. Wasn't that the thing? Wasn't that the trade like in the summer? And then he was just like, I don't want to go there. Listen, I don't know what they're doing in St. Louis to tell people that Buffalo is the worst place on earth, but you know. Berglund came and just quit, stopped playing hockey too. And he's the O'Reilly trade. Yaroslav Halak, Chris Stewart, a first-round pick for Ryan Miller and Steve Ott. Blues used the Anaheim Ducks locker room attendant as their backup goalie after the trade because they needed a backup, I guess. Anyway, um, (laughs) it's funny. Ten years ago. So ten years ago was the Miller trade. Fourteen years ago was Sidney Crosby's golden goal on Ryan Miller. You told me that in the break, and now I'm just deflated. Like, I just don't want to do anything the rest of the day. That that goal makes me so sad. I can I can vividly remember it, but it's just like, well, you know. part of it, if, if, if I'm looking back at that tournament and that game, that golden goal, how that all happened, you know, there's the disappointment of losing in the moment. But beyond that, the NHL stopped going to the Olympics for a while, and now they're going to go back, which, you know, the NHL robbed hockey fans of those kind of moments, and that's not nothing. If I think back to 14 years ago, I can remember where I was watching that game. I'm pretty sure it would have been. I'm at the arena. I'm at, I'm at the at that, that point it's the, not Marine Midland, what was it? HSBC. It's HSBC in between. So I'm at the HSBC arena at the time. And down in the press area where there's, I'm getting something to eat because I'm 99% sure the event that I'm there for is Super Sunday. The varsity champion, the hockey championships. Everybody goes and plays. There's hockey all day. And I remember watching before I went, 
watching in at home, and the game is close, and it goes deep, and okay, now we're going to overtime, and I'm wondering, am I going to be able to see this game end before I have to go out? I was doing play-by-play for Time Warner or something for one of these games, or two of these games maybe, and I remember thinking, boy, watching the clock, like I might have to get out of here. I might miss how this game ends, and then like abruptly, bam, it's over. Oh, well, all right, that's that. And then, of course, after that, Miller Miller went to another level when that happened. He was already a, a goalie that was well-known, but Ryan Miller became a household name to hockey fans throughout the country as a result of that. And, you know, he, he wins a Vezina. So that game happens in 20, 2010, right? Yeah, 14, 14 years ago. That's the year he wins the Vezina. He wins the hearts of USA hockey fans and wins the Vezina Trophy, and the Sabres are in the playoffs. And thinking about just that year, we romanticize 0506 and 0607 all the time. But 2009-10, man, that's a good year. He's an all-star. The Vezina, the Olympics, I mean, it's all right there. We are fans of the team who have... The American goalie, he goes to Pittsburgh, what, the first game after that tournament, and he gets a standing ovation on the road. These are things that, you know, I mean, it's not breaking any news to anybody when we talk about this current Sabres drought. And, again, like, they're not responsible for all of this, the NHL not going to the Olympics. The Sabres would have had Olympians. I mean, Jack Eichel would have been at the Olympics for Team USA at one point. But, like, the things that we've lost along the way, from hockey 14 years ago it's funny because now this all makes sense my facebook feed you know how facebook will tell you like hey this date in 2010 or 2009 or whatever it was on this day you had written this and a couple of my the last couple days has been all these hockey references like oh i love hockey hockey's so great so happy to be a hockey fan and it's just kind of wild like that a lot of that has drifted and I know that I made the point yesterday that Sunday in the arena for the Hurricanes game was a reminder for me that it's never that far away. It just takes getting everybody back in there and all wanting to watch again. We had that for a brief moment last year, even though the Sabres didn't make the playoffs. But to get back to all of that, I and mean, it just it feels so far away, but I know it's, it doesn't have to be. And that golden goal for Crosby, I mean, you know, he scores on Miller in the Winter Classic in the shootout too, right? Like Crosby, Crosby's Crosby. He's he's scored these incredible goals and these incredible moments. And I don't know. There's probably a cynic out there that says like, of course Buffalo's on the wrong end of it. But whatever, you know, to have been alive during that 2010 season, the 2009-2010 season, Miller Miller clocks in 41-18 and eight, a 9.29 goals. Uh, say, say percentage, a 929 save percentage. And the funny thing about like goals save above expected, you can go back and run the numbers with charting. Ryan Miller was a 36 on goals save above expected, which is a big number. To give you a comparison, this year, goals saved above expected, right now number one in the league is Connor Hellebuck, who's having a great season. In 42 games, he's 29 goals saved above expected. Miller had 36 in 41 games. Well, he he was, of course, the best goalie in hockey. He was playing on the level that Hellebuck and Thatcher Demko are this year. And he felt like in, 
impenetrable brick wall. It was amazing. It's a fun year. That's the year that Myers wins the Calder and, you know, 2010. They win the division. What might have been? They were a great team that year. They were wire-to-wire division winners, and then they go out in six games. Vanek, of course, gets his ankle chopped by Johnny Boychuk. You know, this is all too young for you, right? You're, this is, no, this is... You, uh, how old are you, Josh, at this uh, time? I would have been, well, 10 turning 11. Okay, so you're, you're in I it. Would, I, no, I was very hooked into Sabres as soon as I was born, pretty much. Yeah. I, I mean, from 2005 on, I have vivid memories of every single Sabres season. Like, it's never really gone away for me. I know it's like... It's hard to watch the game sometimes. Like it's hard to you know sit here, especially during like the drought and every or um the the tank year and everything. But like, it's never gone away for me. I had a memory pop up on my phone today from a year ago today, of my dad and I at a Sabres Blue Jackets game, and the arena's packed and JJ Paterka just scored a goal and everyone's up on their feet having a great time because that was right in the middle of everything that was last year, and like like you said, it's never that far away. It's always right there. And seeing that from just a year ago is like a reminder of that. And it's, you know, it's it's kind of sad to go down memory lane like this, but it's also kind of fun because you, you realize, like, what was there. Like you said, you always look at the 05-06 teams, but you never look at the years directly following that yeah. those teams. And, and they were good. Like this, I was looking at the stats well, this year, and, and Derek Roy had 69 points. Tim Connolly had 65. Like, they were it was not like you know these world beater points. No, but, records, score, but scoring was not where it is now. I mean, scoring has been back up quite a bit. But it's also like you look at the amount of scoring around the team. It was like a well-rounded effort. It wasn't just yeah, like two guys taking the, way, taking the whole. There's a year weight. in there where they have like seven twenty goal scorers, and yeah, there there was balance. Like the, if you're looking back again, history here for the for Miller and the Sabers. If you wanted to do the trilogy, it's Miller shows up. That doesn't have to be a trilogy, but like the career arc. He shows up. He's really good. He's a goalie that makes big saves for them in the 05, 06, and 06, 07 runs. I mean, he's he's very good. That's where we, we, we see who he is. They miss the playoffs for two seasons when Briere and Drury leave. Those years they finished with 90 and 91 points. And they missed. They missed, which, again, that's not a crazy number to miss. But, man, 90 and 91, this entire drought. They've only touched 91 one time, and it was last year. That used to be the, oh my God, what a disappointment, 90 and 91 points. Then Tyler Myers shows up. He wins the Calder. Miller wins the Vezina. They go to the playoffs. They lose. The following season, they go to the playoffs again. And then I I wanted to look up the date of this because to kind of get back to the day the Sabres broke, when did the Sabres break? Was it not November of 2011 when Lucic hit Miller? Yep. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'll be I'll be guilty right now of this is how hockey goes. There's a fight that happens in a game, and if a team wins, it's because that fight got that team energized and the other team got beaten by the fight. But what you have with the Sabres is good team point totals. Out of the lockout, 110, 113, 90, 91, 100, 96, Miller gets hit. 89, 48, that's in 48 games, so call that 82, right? 89, 82, 52, 54, 81, 71, 62, 76, 68, it's over. And 
you could say for any number of reasons, whatever you want to say, if we're doing this trip down memory lane, I think it might be more likely that the thing that killed them that day was the desire to feel like they had to be tough instead of being what they were, which was a good balanced team that had seven twenty goal scores. Instead, they draft a pair of defensemen that are finger quotes tough to play against, and one of them spends 10 years here getting murdered in his own end. The other one gets traded away to Colorado in the O'Reilly deal. Zadorov, he's still playing. Steve Ott, you bring in a guy like Steve Ott who then goes out with Miller. You know, like these overreactions of you got to make sure you're, you're this kind of team. I actually remember I was um, I was cleaning in one of the studios here one time like a year ago, and I found a paper from the day that they, they traded for Steve Ott. Like the, the Derek Roy has been traded to Dallas Stars. Steve Ott comes to Buffalo. What does he bring to Buffalo? And I remember reading the column, and it was like, He's a goal scorer, but he also has grit, and he's going to be great for the Sabers to be like an enforcer. Tougher to play against. Yeah, they, right. all, they were just going to be. They were going to be tough to play against. It was the whole idea. Time to be tough to play against. What's the Steve? Like Steve Ott's career here. Here's what's even funnier. How many games did he play for the Sabers? Steve Ott. How many years was he here? Four years. Three years. Two. Two. Wow. I was, I was expecting like. A yep. little bit more than that. The lockout shortened season, he scores nine goals. And then the next season, he's got nine goals and is traded to St. Louis where he scores zero goals. He spent the next three seasons in St. Louis, two and a half, and scored three goals total. I'm pretty sure his name's on the cup, too, because he was part of the coaching staff when they won. In St. Louis? Yep. He was like, he's like an advisor of some sort there. I don't know. Maybe he's gotten a promotion since then. But. Today's the day I learned that Steve Ott played 107 games for the Sabres, and it felt like way more than that. 107. He was the captain, too. He was the captain. Which is just crazy. He licked the guy's helmet. Or what, did he lick his face mask? He licked the guy. I think he licked his helmet. Marchand licked the guy's face. But I think Steve The Ott- Sabres went from the team, again, right before all that, Miller, Vezina, this time in history, and like, time to get tough to play against. We need a captain that licks guys' helmets. Hockey helmets, obviously. You know, hey, no no euphemisms here. Not not intentional, sorry. It's time to get to a break as fast as possible. Eight oh three oh five fifty. Only played hundred and seven games. Holy cow. I would have guessed just like you, like what, two hundred? He was here forever. Nope. In and out. Fast. Wild. After he here's their here's stat of the day. We already had one. Here's your stat of the day. <laughs> All right, this is kind of devilish on Steve Ott. All due respect to Steve Ott. In his career, before he left the Sabres, he scored 100 goals. He had 100 NHL goals when he was traded away from the Buffalo Sabres to St. Louis. That was in 2013-14. So in 2014, Steve Ott gets traded to St. Louis. He had 100 career NHL goals. After that, he had nine. His career was nine goals after that. Three with St. Louis Three with Detroit. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it's six. Sorry, I had one of those one of those lines where it says total because the guy got traded again. He got traded from Dallas to Buffalo, Buffalo to St. Louis, and St. Louis to Detroit, and had nine career goals the rest of the way. Man, you want to talk about decisions the Sabers made? How about deciding we we need to be like that? And then you know, on the Wikipedia page is just a. An avalanche of did not qualify, did not qualify, did not qualify, did not qualify. And we're still chasing that. Anyway, there you go. Memory lane. Like I said, we're, uh, <laughs> we're, I said there'd be fun with it. I don't know. Was there fun? 
That was the, this day in history. Was there fun? There was some. Yeah, I had fun like remembering some stuff. There were like there were fun know. facts in there. Were yeah, there, were there fun facts? They were facts. I don't know if they were. Yeah, really fun. Yeah, you're probably right. All right, Extendo Sports on the way. Another giveaway. We're giving away prizes all day today. So stay tuned. Another giveaway coming up here on WGR. Breaking sports news airs first here. Guaranteed. WGR Sports Radio 550. 2020 Sports. Extendo Sports. Okay, beat Caller 5 to win a pair of four, or sorry, a four-pack of tickets to the Western New York Sport and Travel Expo coming to the Hamburg Fairgrounds from Friday, March 8th through Sunday, March 10th. Visit WNYSportsShow.com for details and tickets. Be color five to win a pa- four pack of tickets. Call two two one four WGR. Well, Sabers memory lane there. It just immediately popped in my head how Ronan Tynan used to sing "God Bless America" at half the games. He's there all the time. Anyway, um, <laughs> great moments in Sabers history. So tomorrow, what's coming up tomorrow? Tomorrow is. What day is today? Tomorrow's Thursday, yes. We'll talk with Sal. We're also going to get, if you maybe follow him on, on Twitter, maybe not. Anthony at Cover One is going to join us at 8 o'clock, talk some draft prospects. Whenever I'm hanging out on Twitter, you know, scrolling through, I see Anthony from Cover One routinely just posting video, posting tape. Here's the L22. Here's Javon Baker. Here's, you know, whether it's defensive line receivers, we're going to be covering this stuff a lot. Excited to talk to him, have him on for the first time uh, ever. So that's cool. Dave writes in, Steve Ott had a weekly segment with you and Howard. These are the, File this under things I forgot that I forgot. But I, apparently that happened. Thank you to Dave to write that in. Steve Ott. After you said that, I do remember seeing on an MSG broadcast, tune in to WGR every whatever yeah, day Steve to hear from the Sabres captain. Is Steve Ott's greatest contribution as a member of the Buffalo Sabres, though, being the guy that slow revealed that jersey? Yes. And they posted the picture of him in the jersey, and it was kind of like, Whoa. What's your favorite part from that jersey? If you have one. Favorite as in like, it's so bad, can you believe it happened? Yes. Okay. Um, hmm. Nominees include two different colors of yellow, the font, the silver inside the numbers, something else, the word buffalo underneath the, the, the collar, what am I missing? What should be the favorite part? My favorite part is the C and the A in the cross swords on your shoulder when you were the captain. Do you remember that? I don't. If you look up that picture of Steve Ott, he's got a C on his shoulder in crossed sabers. Rather than putting it on the chest, they put it on the shoulder, which was a bold move because no one has ever done that in the history of the NHL. Yeah. I think that I think you're right about the font, though. The font looks like the if Comic Sans wild. went to college and discovered rock music. Really the most amazing thing, if you search out that Steve Ott picture, the most amazing thing is that the, the it's almost impossible to even verbalize this happened, but the yellow of the chest doesn't match the yellow it's connected to on the arms. It's the lighting. No. No? No. <laughs> They had two different color yellows. I won't walk out. I wouldn't walk out of the house in that. I can't believe they didn't pull a Mike Keenan when they had that one blues jersey that he refused. Like, we're not going to wear that. We're refusing to wear that. Of course, you know, there's deals and such. I mean, these jerseys were something else. They were also yellow in the front and blue in the back. Like, if you were look at the Sabres from behind, they were a blue team, dark blue. And from the front, they were a yellow team. 
It's also funny because when you look at like when you click on the op picture, there's like suggested images, and you have pictures of Billy Leno, Patrick Coletta, Cody Hodson, Mikhail Gregorenko. Some legends right there. Yeah, I don't ever want to hear anybody say post tank is worse than pre tank. Pre tank was worse. I mean, really, it was. Look at this. Pre tank. Right? All that's pre. Holy cow. That's like the year of the tank. Or is it? They wore them for two years, I think, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. I don't remember what they wore from the tank. Here's Alex Sulzer in the locker room wearing one of these things. Christian Erhoff. Speaking of Cody Hodson, he's on like a four goal, four game goal streak. Right I now saw that. That's a, that's, a, that's a good story. I had a chance to meet Cody Hodson at one of the Sabres tournaments recently. He was a really nice guy. Um, he scored his first goal in eight years. First goal in professional mm-hmm. hockey in eight years. Pretty like a cool. week ago. Yeah, good story for him. Okay, that's it for us. The Northtown Automotive Extra Point Show is coming up. Of course, uh, stay tuned. Sal Capaccio is in Indianapolis through the week. Defensive line interviews today. We might get some defensive linemen to say, yes, I met with the Buffalo Bills. Wide receiver testing comes on Saturday, so that's when that's going to fire up. All right. Stay tuned. Extra Point Show next. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.